Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, April 4th, and live from the Chicago Reader's Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Ben's first Tuesday sidekick, co-host, and investigative reporter, Mick Dumkey will join us. We welcome the union man slash pension guru, Jeff Johnson. And we welcome Ann Kirkner from the striking UIC grad students. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Can't Believe My Eyes Thursday. (laughs) And here's why. So I woke up this morning bright and early at the ungodly hour of 930 all right, and what did I see? A Johnny Cass column in the Tribunal calling on Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot to do the right thing and put a halt to that $1.3 billion Lincoln Yards TIFF handout. Man, I almost passed out to you when I saw that. Let me explain, all right? I got up early. Because Dennis, a certain Dr. D, called me up and said, hey, wake up. <laughs> I knew he was sleeping. Oh, my God. It's true, folks. I was sound asleep. I was like dreaming of the bulls. Whoo, hit that jump shot. Whoo, whoo, hit that jump shot. All of a sudden, ring. Get up. Oh, God. He's so hard on me, folks. He's a slave driver. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> I'm doing it for all of you listening. <laughs> anyway, the tribunal is what I affectionately call the Chicago Tribune. I'm showing this to everybody. Yeah, please show those listeners that newspaper. See that, listeners? Sort of the right of center newspaper in the city of Chicago that even though I disagree with their politics, I still subscribe to. Yes, I am helping pay for the Chicago Tribune. You're welcome, Tribsters. You might return a favor and like, you know, subscribe to the Sun-Times or make a donation to the reader. Just saying, you take what's Anyway. What up, Eric Zorn? (laughs) Yo, Eric. I love Eric. Eric's my guy. Thanks for the download. Also love Casey Johns. Can I just give a shout out to Casey, the Bulls, the beat writer for the Tribune, love Casey Johnson. Anyway, focus, Ben, focus. So uh, the Tribunal, back to the Tribune column. John Cass is a columnist for the Tribune. I talk about Johnny Cass every now and then. He is right, and I mean right wing. Sounds a lot like Johnny Cash, by the way, when I say Johnny Cass. Let me just say this. I've been down this road before with our uh, listeners of the millennial persuasion, and they get easily confused. They go, Ben, I don't understand. There's Johnny Cash. Who's this Johnny Cass? Good point. I will now explain. Johnny Cass is the right-wing columnist for the Chicago Tribune who's so right, they like they keep him in a cage and they throw red meat at him. Lock him up. 
Johnny Cash is one of the greatest singers of all time. The great country singer, the man in black, who sang one of my favorite songs, A Boy Named Sue. You know that song? Yes, yeah, I do. Uh, yes, kicking I do. in the grab. I'll name him anything. Bill, Bob, Joe, anything but Sue. Pretend trivia points. Who wrote A Boy Named Sue? Ice Cube. No. <laughs> Shell Silverstein. The pride and joy of Roosevelt High School on the north side of Chicago. Anyway, where was I? Oh, Johnny Cass, as opposed to Johnny Cash. Johnny Cass, one more time, is the right-wing columnist for the Chicago Tribune who's so right, they keep him in a cage and throw red meat at him. Lock him up. Anyway. <laughs> Lincoln Yards is, as I was saying, a $1.3 billion handout. I call it corporate welfare that Mayor Rahm is uh, heaping on Sterling Bay, one of his pals in the developing community, to build an upscale community in a gentrifying north side neighborhood that nobody needs or can afford. And I've been railing about this for, I don't know, years, it seems like, without getting much love from my friends of the right-wing persuasion. You know, I never get much love from my friends of the right-wing persuasion when I rail against tips. I'm not sure why exactly. Boy, they hate when you give welfare to poor people. But when it comes to corporate welfare, it's sort of like, well, Ben, you don't understand. That's economic development. That's how you say, when a poor guy gets a hand up, it's welfare. But when a rich guy gets money he doesn't need, it's economic development. Anyway, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, poor people. I got a funny feeling that part of the reason why they're so reluctant to rail against corporate welfare is that the suits who sign the checks are the beneficiaries of corporate welfare. And D, if there's any man in the world who knows something about upsetting the suits that sign the checks, it's me. As in my last radio job, you're fired! <laughs> Not one more word about Lincoln Yards! Anyway... So I'm always looking for some solidarity from my brothers and sisters of the right-wing persuasion when it comes to handing out corporate welfare. But generally, when these issues come to, to, to the forefront, it's like, uh, guys, you, huh? there they are under the table. Hey, come on out from under the table. Anyway, I'm delighted to say that young Johnny Cass, not Johnny Cash, Young Johnny has written a column for the Tribune, skip the honeymoon and stop Lincoln Yards deal. Hooray! John, welcome to the club. Okay, <laughs> it only took you 30 years, but whatever. Anyway, Mayor-elect Lightfoot, let me tell you this. If this $1.3 billion corporate handout for Lincoln Yards is so outrageous that Ben Jarofsky... And John Cass agree on it. I think it's time. You gotta kill it. We got a great show today, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend, Mick Dumkey will be here. That's correct. We'll be sitting right in that seat. Mickey D will be here at about 1.30 talking politics, politics, politics. And after Mick is done talking politics, 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 Jeff Johnson. No, not the car racer, D. Jeff Johnson, the union man who knows more about pensions than any man alive will be I don't right. Think there's a car racer of Jeff Johnson. You think you're talking about Jeff Gordon? No, there's a Johnson. Oh, okay. No, I think, isn't there? I remember Jeff Gordon is the guy, like, really good looking, baby face. Hi, I'm Jeff Gordon. There's a Johnson, isn't there? 
Anyway, he'll be sitting there. And uh, and then Ann Kirkner, striking UIC workers. You know, we stand strong with striking workers. Last week we had Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra here. By the way, Rom, come on. Put the squ- Get those rich guys who run the CSO to cut the deal already. It's an embarrassment to the city of Chicago. The symphony orchestra is still on strike. Anyway, and Kirkner will be here as well, talk about the strike with UIC. I think it's pretty embarrassing uh, that in this day and age, they want graduate school employees to basically pay for the right to teach. We'll talk all about that when she comes on the show. So we have a great show today, a lot of po- political talk. But before we do any of that, the doctor will deliver the news. How's it going, guys? My name's Dennis. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the news happening nationally this afternoon. We have a new 2020 presidential hopeful making their candidacy official. And no, it's not Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden. <laughs> it's not. Grandpa Joe. We'll talk about that in moments. But first, just as we jumped off the live stream, by the way, how we doing, live streamers? Doing okay? Yeah? Bruce Bruce? Doing all right? <laughs> Pat Rod? You guys cool? All right. We cool. got to take care of the live streamers. I'm telling you, send me a message. Let me know you're doing okay. Uh, we're going to give blue Mustangs okay. to all the Don't live. Give away cars. Oh, how about frozen steaks? Uh, now, that's something we got to look into. <laughs> There's no room for the deep freeze in the Sun Times. No, that's true. We got to work on that. But just as we jumped off the live stream, uh, House Democrats formally demanded Donald Trump's tax returns from the Internal Revenue uh, Services. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Let's get busy. Let's get, come on, let's play tough, Democrats. The tax return thing. Yeah. Forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. Richard Neal, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, issued the request on Wednesday evening stating, quote, it is critical to ensure the accountability of our government and elected officials. The committee is seeking Trump's tax returns from 2013 to 2018. Here's the quote from Richard Neal, quote, we have completed the necessary groundwork for a request of this magnitude, and I am certain we are within our legitimate legislative, legal, and oversight rights. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct, Donnie. Trump has been hiding his tax returns. Come on, Donald. Come on. Even Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle, I think, released their tax returns running for mayor of the city of Chicago, which is not nearly as important uh, office as president of the United States. This is another issue where my brothers and sisters of the right-wing persuasion are noticeably missing in action. Hold on, let me see. Oh, yeah. Under the table. Come on out, guys. Uh, They're hiding. No, I don't want to get in trouble with the president. Yeah, Donald Trump is still saying, I can't release him because I'm under audit. No, that is like not even remotely true. The IRS has said, you can release him if you want. Nope, nope, can't release him under audit. And all the Trump heads are like, yeah, you can't release him. They're under audit. What about Hillary's email, huh? Yeah, so Democrat, we're going to have David Ferris on the show tomorrow, D. I just wanted to say this. David Ferris, professor from Roosevelt University, very smart guy uh, here in Chicago, wrote a book about how Democrats should start playing tough like Republicans. And I love talking politics with David. And I'm going to ask him about this. I'm sure he'll have some interesting things. He's been advocating this for a while, that the Democrats should start playing the game of politics the way the Republicans do. And then maybe, maybe one time when the Republicans are finally defeated, they can have like a rapprochement. Love it when you talk French and everybody. (laughs) Wow. You know, I've been listening a lot to that station on the lakefront. What's it called? Uh, I don't know. Uh, The one where they sound way smarter than us? (laughs) Yeah. Uh. I've just been feeling really smart lately. I think it'd be easy to remember. You think it would be easy to reproach more. Anyway, uh, so once, you know, once the Democrats start playing the game rough and tumble the way the Republicans do and the Republicans lose, then we can, uh, you know, have a little peace accord. Anyway, so I, I applaud. 
the Democrats for playing a little hardball with Donnie Trump. By the way, Bruce Bruce and Pat Rod, they're doing just fine. Pat Rod says, I'm good, a little wet, because he works outside, but oh, good. Okay. And Bruce Bruce, you'll get a kick out of this, Ben. Bruce Bruce says, uh, got the cell phone in my hard hat. <laughs> he listens to us with a cell phone in his hard hat. God bless him, man. That's awesome. Bruce uh, Bruce, what's oh, up, man? My man, Bruce. Up. High five. Oh, nice. High five. You got that, Bruce? Got that? Uh, Bruce, steaks are in the mail. Okay. We don't don't expect steaks in the mail. We're not frozen steaks. You don't even have your address, dude. How would we do that? All right. Now to our latest uh, person to throw their name in the 2020 Democratic POTUS ring. Wake up, Grandpa Joe. You're now more than likely going to be the 17th person to make it official. If you ever get around to making it official. Let's meet number 16. And judging by how these updates have typically gone here on the Binge Rock, Show. We're probably pronouncing their name wrong. <laughs> but it's California Congressman Eric Swalwell. Oh. Swalwell's a 38-year-old Democrat who will reportedly announce his run on the late show with Stephen Colbert. Yeah. And according to the Atlantic, will base his campaign around the issue of gun control. Hey man, when's Eric Swalwell or anyone gonna announce their campaign on the Ben Jarofsky no, show? I don't huh? think that's happening. Oh, I want to go on Colbert. Yeah. yeah. Why we? Why would Colbert's having him? I mean, that's. I'll must... Tell you what, when Sergio Mims announces he's running for president, <laughs> we'll get that exclusive. Love Sergio Mims. Black <laughs> Harvest Film Festival. Stephen Colbert. You should have uh, St- uh, Sergio Mims on your show sometime. How about that? Now Swalwell is a regular on cable news shows and plans to have his kickoff uh, tour in Florida. On Monday. Florida? Yeah. Why Florida? I think uh, Parkland. Par- yep, you're right. Yeah. Parkside. And uh, because his, well, you, I don't want to step on your toes here, young man. This hey. is uh, your next update. His main issue that he's running on is? Gun control. Gun control thing. I told you that earlier. Oh. It was in the news. All right. Focus, Ben. Focus. <laughs> So, oh, I forgot. I was so excited about the Tribs anti Lincoln Yard editorial. I know you are. I am too. <laughs> I can hold my excitement, though. Uh, so, uh, Ben, based on what you know about Eric Swalwell, which I think you just looked it up a few <laughs> minutes ago, tell us you th- uh, what you think his chances are of becoming president. Not very well. But I got to tell you this as soon as I looked him up, I remembered him because he was a dude that beat Pete Stark. This is what a nerd I am. I kind of like Pete Stark. He was the, the old state uh, congressman, excuse me, from that district in California. And uh, you know, he was kind of a grumpy old guy, Pete's uh, one of those kind of guys. Uh, so Swallow was like a Dudley Do-Right type, you know, young, ambitious, and he played soccer in college, you know, and he was on the student council. I, I don't mean to besmirch him. Those are Quit good, besmirching. Yeah, those are good people, too. Not, you know, didn't play a lot of soccer myself. Anyway, uh, he's, what is he, 38 years old? He's very young. Yeah, and uh, so now we got three millennials running. One thing about these millennials that are running for president, they're going to know how to use a phone, okay? <laughs> they're going to know how to use a cell phone. <laughs> Get some, and he's, like, really good at, uh, like, social media. Like, he's, like, the social media congressman, the Snapchat king, I think they call him in oh, Congress. Nice. So, That'll yeah. help you out in uh, politics. Uh, well, I'm the Snapchat king. Does that get us anywhere? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Listen, I'm old school. I like to think that uh, you got to, you know, kick in some little time, do a, live a little life. Uh, things you know, before you run for president, but no, you know, things have changed. So we got three millennials running um, and, uh, you know, God bless them. Maybe it is time for my generation. Well, it's definitely time for my generation to pass it on. But uh, what's the one after us? Generation X. Even they have to pass it on. Uh, maybe the mo- it's time for the millennials to pick up the, you know, the baton. But uh, yes, his big issue is gun control. And uh, he's similar uh, to uh, who's the other gentleman? Um, Jay Inslee from Washington, the, the governor of Washington. His big issue is climate control. So 
it, I applaud all these candidates if they can force the the Democrats to have sane positions on all these important issues. Um, then they've done a service. Shout out to our friend Frank. Yeah, that Frank on Facebook oh. who's always correcting us. Well, what I do wrong well, now, apparently Frank? Apparently, it's on me here. Uh, Tim Ryan. It, Tim Ryan. A guy named Tim Ryan is the seventeenth. Uh, candidate to officially announce. How does Frank know that? The guy's a genius. I'm telling you, thank God for Frank. Frank, we'll see what the hideout in May. And Frank should be there at the hideout in May, first, so, first Tuesday in May. Once again, <laughs> Joe Biden, wake up! <laughs> Come on, people Come on, are passing Gramps. me up. You're going to be number 18 now. <laughs> Grandpa. My goodness. Yeah. All right, and uh, yeah, I think that'll be it for national news. Of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Benny J. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit happening in this city of ours and in this state of ours. Yeah. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. Fantastic answer. No matter how slow you say it sometimes. <laughs> because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. I can't wait because it's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick he keeps out in his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read The Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times, and I'm delighted to say our 1.30 guest is early. Oh, we love that. I love it when guests show up early. The great, the immortal, the legendary, the man, the myth, the legend, Mick Dumkey, the pride and joy of Michigan, is in the studio right now. He's sitting there looking just so tanned and rested. He's ready to throw his hat in the ring and run for president of the Democratic All right. primary. Make yeah. the announcement. Make it official right here. We need <laughs> I, an exclusive. I'm about the only one who hasn't thrown my hat in, right? And you're the only one who, if you do run for president, would announce it on my show as opposed to, I'm going on Stephen Colbert. You know? <laughs> so yeah, Mick Dumkey's in here. He goes, well, I'll wait to one third. I go, uh-uh, get in here, Dumkey, and go to work. So... We'll, we'll get his comments on the news of the day as well. Absolutely. And hey, if you ever really do run for president, don't give the exclusive to Sneed. <laughs> Sneed gets all of them. He's so, he's still Sneed mad. had the exclusive on my engagement. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember my, that. My, my now uh, now lovely wife, always lovely, now wife. Um, am, am I allowed to say her that she's your wife? Yes, I think because she said uh, Ramon Hussein, a regular. Outed, yes. Yeah. Uh, probably the most popular feature on the Ben Jarofsky. I don't watch it. She'll oust me. Uh, she'll be here tomorrow at 1.30, the Romano Rundown, every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. I remember so that. She, when she I got... used to be a, a leg woman for Sneed. 
So that's that's how we were elevated to the status of having our engagement a couple of years ago announced. Well, that uh, I Colorado. remember when that happened because um, I got a phone. This sort of ties into what I was saying earlier. I got a phone call from a, a mutual friend who had read in Sneed's column that uh, Mick and Romana were engaged. And so he felt compelled to call me at like five in the morning. Of course, I'm not up. Oh, no. I'm not up until 10. And I'm like, dude. I, I called him at 9.30 this morning and he got pissed <laughs> off. Yeah, it's true. I'd probably still be sleeping if he hadn't called me. Anyway, I do remember Sneed. But what, what, what we were joking about was Sneed had the scoop on uh, Pat Quinn running for attorney general. And then Quinn came on our show. And I'm like, oh. He was on our show like Mick the day before he announced. You know what I'm saying? Right. He waited. Let's need. Let's need. All right. What you got for me, young man? We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for what else is news. And last week I mentioned how after the Chicago runoff elections, that at about this time we would be pivoting hard towards state news. But Ben Jarofsky, Lori Lightfoot has hit the ground running here. It hasn't even been two full <laughs> days since her victory, and she's all over the city preparing for a new gig on May 20th, uh-huh. and we got to keep tabs on our mayor-elect, okay? Oh, yeah, she's busy. All right, and today's segment does feature a bit of Illinois news, so we're kind of doing it there. Oh, okay. But let's get into the Lightfoot updates here. Lori Lightfoot actually met with Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Oh. <laughs> I bet that was ah, fun. They met yesterday for a transition meeting. Now, if you recall, Lori and Rahm aren't really the best of friends. No. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woman Spielman. She helps remind us, boxed in by the politics of police reform, the mayor had no choice but to reappoint Lightfoot to a second term as police board president. <laughs> but before doing that, he tried and failed to extract a promise from her that she wouldn't use the platform to run for mayor. Lightfoot also opposed Emmanuel's decision to build a $95 million <laughs> Police yeah. Academy in West Garfield Park pressure the mayor to sign a consent decree outlining the terms of federal court oversight over the Chicago Police Department and criticize the mayor for failing to deliver on his promise of civilian police review. Yeah, but all that seemed to be water under the bridge. <laughs> Rom's playing ball. Here's the quote from the mayor. And remember, when we read Mayor Rom quotes here on the Ben Jarofsky show, he's smart, you're not. Okay, all right, here we go. That. Quote. <laughs> Everything that Lori wants and her team wants, there will be no bottleneck. We're going to make sure that she can, on day one, hit the ground running and see her agenda that she ran all the way through. All right. Well, one I would just like to point out, as I earlier, one of the points on her agenda, Rom, that she ran on was to hold off the vote on the Lincoln Yards $1.3 billion handout. So if you really want to allow her to hit the ground running and pursuing her agenda, the agenda that she campaigned on, that I think was... What you should do, Mayor Rahm, is in a sign of good faith, is you should call on the Chicago City Council not to have that vote. You, Rahm, you, Mayor Rahm, as a sign of good faith that you really, truly believe in allowing the mayor-elect to hit the ground running, you should call off that vote so that she could scrutinize that $1.3 billion deal and see if it really is in the best interests of the taxpayers of the city of Chicago. What about that, Mayor Rahm? Yeah. What do you think, Mick? Someday, Ben, someday we will learn how you really feel about Lincoln Yards. (laughs) Hey, by the way, I talked about this earlier. You probably missed it because you were on your way. Johnny Cass of the Tribune came out from under the table, stop uh, the Lincoln Yards deal. You know, the right wing is like, hold on. Mostly they are down here, Mick. Come on out now. Come on, Cass. (laughs) That's been uh, looking under the 
not only the proverbial table, but literally the table in front of him. Yes, for death. Come out, for come some, out, come out, come out, come out, wherever you are. Here's, All right. here's Lightfoot on our meeting with the mayor, but thank God, not for much longer. It was a very um, cordial and uh, productive conversation. I think the first of many, and I was very pleased. When you say productive, why do you describe this? Well, look, you, you sit down with the existing mayor and his team, and they uh, run through issues of mutual concern and importance. So it was, it was very cordial and very, impor um, very important for me, and um, I appreciate the generosity. And it'll be, I, as I said, I think the first of many. No, it was, it was, it was a very, very cordial conversation. Um, he was extremely generous, and I'm grateful. So thank you, thank you all. <laughs> We'll be releasing specific information about the transition, the who, what, where, and structure, but it, that's not for today. But it'll be coming, and we'll give you advance notice. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank Take care. Very cordial, very gracious. After a meeting with Rom, she talked with Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson about his plan to combat the traditional summer surge of violence. Now, Ben, Mick. Do you think uh, Lori's telling the truth? Rob's telling the truth? Or how do you think that meeting really went Wait, I mean, was it really cordial? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, but by the way, before I answer that question, I'm going to do a quick duck and dodge pivot the way Tony Preckwinkle or Lori Lightfoot did. I love it when the, the, the media, they they corner the politician. You know what I mean, Mick? They corner the politician and you hear the rabble. Yeah, exactly. And Lori's not going to pivot. She's not going to. Lori is like. I've heard this about Lori Lightfoot recently, by the way. I don't know if you've heard this, Mick. My inside sources tell me that she has a temper and that she's been known to <clears throat> drop the F-bomb every now and then. Something she has in common with the current mayor and something they both have in common with the previous mayor to this current mayor. It's like we have this thing about electing not particularly tall mayors, Mick, who dropped the F-bomb. Uh, so, well, anyway. right. Most American citizens drop the F-bomb. That's so, true. Uh, uh, none I, I of us know. will be doing it here today. <laughs> yeah, this is family friendly, oh, yeah. but, you know, we'll, we'll keep it clean. Uh, but um, anyway, I, yeah, I believe they were cordial in that room, but I don't believe there's any love lost between the two of them. Uh, as Fran Spielman pointed out, uh, Dennis, you alluded to it earlier, Mayor Rahm only promote, wanted to only give uh, Lori that position if she promised she wouldn't run for mayor. And the first thing she, she used it to, as a platform to run for mayor. I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying. And uh, so I can't imagine that they truly do love each other. Uh, but I don't think they, I think, don't you think they restrained from dropping the F-bomb at each other, Mick, when they met yesterday? Sure. I don't think the word love was used there uh, by Lori, but um, I'm, I'm sure they were cordial. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, Rom's got senioritis. He's on the way out. And, uh, you know, Lori is still allowed to bask in the glow of this overwhelming victory she had before she actually has to do the job, which is going to be a real, uh, a real pain in the butt, to say the least. Yeah, and one thing I've learned about Rom down through the years, uh, if he feels that the person he's dealing with at the moment can be of use to him uh, further down the road, he's really nice to them. So if you remember when he was seeking uh, Bogoyevich's, uh permission to, remember, remember when Rom was leaving I got to get this right, Mick. He was the congressman, and he was leaving Congress to be White House chief of staff. And he, uh, um, 
mistakenly thought that uh, Blagojevich had the authority to re- name a replacement for his old congressional job, and he wanted Forrest Claypool named so that he could come back, Rom, and just <laughs> replace Forrest. And he, remember how nice he was? That was taped right. by the feds. He was so nice to Blagojevich. I love you, Blagojevich. But then when he like <laughs> met Karen Lewis when he was the mayor, he was like mean and nasty. So I think that um, Lori Lightfoot falls into the category of somebody who could be useful to Rom further down the road so he's going to be nice that's my guess what do you think well yeah i think so and also um uh just generally i mean how is he not going to cooperate in a transition i mean the obama people even cooperated with donald trump in a transition uh the w people you know cooperated with the obama team on a transition i think you i think you look i'll put it the other way you look really bad if you don't cooperate in a transition it literally is the least you can do as a departing elected official and real quickly offer another example of how rom can be nice when he sees a potential advantage uh, in it for him didn't you do a ride along with rom one time back in the day <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen once rom manual allowed ben jarofsky to ride in the same car with Whoa. him get that yeah man it was in uh 2002 he's running for congress in a district where the reader uh is was widely read it's it was a north side district and he like oh ben yeah come ride Bogoyevich's old district yes very good Bogoyevich's old district that's correct the fifth congressional now currently filled by McDonald Mike Quigley. Very good. He knows his stuff. Give that man a frozen steak. Uh, and, I don't uh, eat steak, Ben. I'm a vegetarian. Oh, give him some fried tofu. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so we were in the car, Mick, and I don't know, it's been a long time since you read the story, but when I remember what the aide who was driving the car put on was the greatest hits of Bob Dylan, one of my favorite records. I love the greatest hits of Bob Dylan, volume one. And I was just like interviewing Ron, but like all those songs was hard not, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, Lay Lady Lady's not on that song. No, that is actually on volume two, Nashville Skyline and then volume two. Let me tell you something about McDunkey. This guy really, I always said he should have been a rock and roll critic. He knows sometime we're going to do a whole podcast greatest albums of 1971 we're going to do that podcast. that's right because i maintain that is the greatest year in rock history I mean, he even said volume two yeah he said volume <laughs> two he did, I did, and there's a volume three to bob dylan's greatest sure, hits. Sure. um but anyway blowing in the wind is uh mr tambourine man are and uh, rainy day women are on uh all right, enough talk yeah. about Bob Dylan. All right, Go back Bob to the Dylan news. lovers. <laughs> All right, looks like Lori is planning a trip to Springfield next week oh, to meet with yeah. the big feller. I'm yeah. not a perfect person. <laughs> That's right. Governor Jamie uh. Pritzker. Lightfoot has a grocery list of Springfield priorities, including pushing for an elected school board for Chicago, a measure that's been stalled in the Illinois House since 2017. She also is in support of a graduated income tax and plans to work closely with the Pritzker administration to facilitate its passage and implementation. Lightfoot agreed with Pritzker on a Chicago casino and JB's plan to legalize uh, recreational marijuana. Bidrovsky McDumpke, based on the relationships Mayor Rahm has had with our two former governors, Pat Quinn and Bruce Rauner, is there any advice that you guys can give to Lightfoot before she heads to Springfield? Don't be like Mayor Rahm. Just in general, just don't be like Mayor Rahm. Anywhere, any... The reason you're mayor now is because nobody likes the guy, all right? That's the only... So... Lori Lightfoot, I know it's going to be really hard. You have all that power. Everybody's going to be genuflecting to it. The, the press are going to be running up to you. Well, Mayor Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot. Just remember, when every day you wake up, you go, don't be like Mayor Rahm. Don't be like Mayor Rahm. And you'll be a great mayor in the city of Chicago. What's your advice to her, Mick? 
I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally here, Mayor-elect Lightfoot got some aldermanic advice on Wednesday. Oh, God, Nick, we got to talk about this. And I saw this page. It's unnamed alderman. <laughs> unnamed. That's the key part of the story. Unnamed. Should try to guess who this unnamed I don't know. alderman let's is. Let's, let's, let's listen. An yeah. unnamed alderman <laughs> told Lori to tread softly with new, emboldened, and more progressive city council or risk derailing her ambitious legislative agenda. Uh, let's see here. Uh, more advice from the unnamed alderman here. <laughs> let's see. They said to weigh in, but let the council choose its own committee chairman. Play the long game on ethics reform, says mystery alderman. <laughs> Pick your battles, just like your parents need to do with their kids. Wait, time out. Is that part of the quote? Yeah, I forget that. Just like parents need to do with their kids. Choose a politically savvy city council liaison who knows how to get along with aldermen. Uh, preferably my cousin needs a job right now. Uh, wow. All right. Mick and I will, when, and later on after the break, take a deep dive uh, in the city council, the relationship of the city council traditionally to the mayor, uh, what potential changes there could be. Uh, but I just, at this moment, have to say, Mick, I read that. That was, uh, again, another France. Man, France Spielman killed it today's newspaper. She had like three great Every stories. Day. Every day. Every yeah. day, yeah. She is amazing. But um, that was a France Spielman story, and I just was laughing. I literally laughed out loud, Mick, because... You know, this bold talk from the unnamed alderman. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're so bold, name yourself. You know, go on the record. Among other things in that quote. Yeah, we'll, we'll unpack it. There's lots to unpack. There's there. lots to unpack in that one. But uh, yes, uh, the unnamed alderman. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what is going on in Chicago. A little bit of Illinois news there as well. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you. Hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. Okay, tell me. Something that Johnny Cass from oh, the Tribune nice, just nice. You know, discovered the TIFF program after 30 years. Awesome. <laughs> Take your time, John. Take your time. Uh, something that Johnny Cash, oh, right. one of the greatest singers of all time, and something that Johnny Jones, a kid I went to high school with. Oh, they hey, Johnny, all how's agree. it going? <laughs> you did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Mick Dumpke, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show.
Hey, that commercial break's over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Yes, indeed. We are back. McDumkey is with me in the studio. He's the uh, ace reporter for ProPublica. Before that, he worked for the Chicago Sun-Times. Before that, he worked for the Reader newspaper. He's been my partner in crime at the hideout. Every first Tuesday, well, not this first Tuesday because we were both busy covering the election, but every first Tuesday other than that uh, at the hideout. So we have a show in May, Mick. We do. We haven't figured out who's going to be on. No idea. (laughs) But it'll be a good one. I assure you all. It will be a good one. Uh, Mick and Ben. uh, Yeah. That's what we call winging it, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And that's what we've been doing for four years. Now, Dennis, before the show starts, we will have a guest lined up. Oh, yeah. Unless, of course, we don't, in which case we'll We'll just talk. Just do it. Uh, Fine, I'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. D, your thoughts. Uh, Yeah, so we'll be at the hideout. uh, I don't even know what date. Hold on, I'll look at my. Do you know what date is, Mick? The first mm, Tuesday in May? No, I have not. Well, whatever. It's the first. Fantastic (laughs) podcasting, guys. Uh, (laughs) uh, The 7th, May 7th. There you go. May 7th. 7 being the number of Mickey Mantle. Anyway. Um, we'd be at the hideout. Uh, so, Mick, talk about your election night. You uh, we were just telling off uh, off Mike that you spent your night tweeting, which is uh, I did, which is something I never thought I would say. Um, but yeah, for the first round of uh, balloting in February, and then this past uh, Tuesday, it already seems like it was an eternity ago, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, two days ago, I uh, basically did live in real-time analysis, like you and Maya were talking, I was pretty much doing the same thing on Twitter, uh, offering my comments, offering um, corny jokes, the occasional pictures of my sleeping cats, um, uh, you know, shots, uh, videos of uh, some great Chicago rock and roll and soul that was appropriate to the occasion. Like what? Um, well, like I closed with, uh, you know, I'm trying to note a harmony, the shy lights, we are neighbors. Oh man. Um, Big Dumpkey knows his so music. We, we worked in, you know, yeah. worked in, uh, uh, some new stuff, some old stuff. Um, and along the way tried to sneak in some actual, uh, return numbers and commentary on the election. So it's an interesting experience. It's a, it's an interesting way to do it. I, you know, the first round I had, a, we had a lot of, I, and this by the way, was me on the ProPublica Illinois Twitter feed. So if anyone for whatever reason wants to recreate it, you can still find it out there. I, I don't know, there were dozens of tweets in this thread, so it's not too hard to find. Um, where were you positioned? Were you at your house in front of your I TV? I was at my house. And my joke yeah. is I'm at the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here in the uh, Rogers Park Political, <laughs> ProPublica's Rogers Park Political Bureau with my ace staff and then, you know, insert a picture of my sleeping cats um, <laughs> and, and just kind of go on from there. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll you know, a total nerd fest and uh, actually a lot of fun and had a lot of interaction from people. It, it always surprises me how many people are... Uh, Whatever else they're doing with their life, they're also following and chiming in on, on Twitter. Yeah, no, it's a whole new world. Uh, people tweeting. I last a couple weeks ago, we had Anthony Clark, who was a congressional candidate against Danny K. Davis in the seventh. He was in the studio and he was on his phone, and I was going to you know chide him for being on his phone. And I realized he was tweeting. <laughs> he was he was doing us a service. He was tweeting out about his stuff. By the way, interesting guy, Anthony Clark. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, so, were you surprised by uh, the decisiveness of uh, Lori Lightfoot's triumph? I was surprised by the margin. Yeah, I mean all the polls showed that she had a a huge lead of course so Mm -hmm. most people suspected that was where it was going um the where the outcome was headed but 
I mean, a three to one, you know, uh, taking more than three quarters of the vote, or was it about, I think it was about three quarters of the vote, we'll round off about three quarters of the vote. Tony not even winning her own ward. I mean, I was I was definitely surprised by that, especially court. since you know Ben. It anecdotally it seemed like there had been in the last week or two there had been a little bit of a Lori pushback effect, especially coming from you know young people and uh, elected officials in the black community. Uh, people, you and I heard this when we had Lori on our show at the Hideout in uh, February. People basically saying, you know, from from the criminal justice reform or from the, uh, uh, you know, cop abolition movement, basically saying Lori's a cop. You know, Mm -hmm. she's former federal prosecutor. She's been on the inside the whole time. We do not want someone with those credentials. She's not going to do any good for black people who are struggling with um, heavy handed policing. That was pretty much the message. And then, of course, you know, um, Tony and and her allies, uh, political allies were sort of pushing some of the same messages. So I expected there would be a little bit more um, of a showing for Tony in the South and West side, and it just didn't materialize. No, it didn't. All right. Now, she had a three-to-one mandate, uh, Lori Lightfoot did. In other words, excuse me, a seven, a seven, three-to-one margin of victory, 75% of the vote, as you said. Uh, that means she had a mandate for something. I mean, when 75% of the people vote for one candidate against another candidate when there's no incumbent, all right, right. so they're, they're, they're asking something, they're seeking something. Um, in your humble opinion, what is the expectation that Chicago voters have coming out of that election? I think Chicago voters wanted somebody who was new, who was not Rom, who was not Daly, but not someone who's so new that they have never heard of him or her at all. I, I think that actually the fact that Lori had taken appointments, had worked within the um, Emanuel and Daly administrations in various jobs, I think that actually helped her because it's not a, while, while she wasn't a household name by any means, she had to introduce herself to voters. The Sun-Times helped with its front page endorsement, of course, in February. Um, just to get her out out there, raise her profile. It's someone who, if you want a fresh face, she is somewhat safe. I mean, she's appears, you know, she's obviously very smart. She's competently held these positions. Again, we can argue about her policies or particular decisions that were made when she was in these jobs, but the fact is she held them. So she's not someone who's completely been on the outside. She's not uh, and I'm not just talking politically in terms of her political ideology. She's not a Donald Trump. She's not even a Bruce Rauner. She has done something in government before. So once you're introduced to her, you're like, okay, well, she seems like a credible candidate and she's someone I've never heard of. So let's go with it. I, I have a feeling that a lot of people voted along those lines. All right. So what you're talking about is more or less like, a, well, we, what we talk about this a lot, make like a politics as a personality uh, competition, like uh, running for student council government in high school. Uh, let me get a little more specific with my question. Is there any policy initiatives uh, that you think voters are seeking when they vote uh, three to one? Or do you think they're not even thinking policy? It's just a matter of we want somebody who is different, you know, not somebody who's we know who's been in running government in the past. It's just somebody new, as you said. Do you think there's any policy uh, initiatives that people want? 
Well, I think there are policy initiatives people want, but I don't think that's what was decisive. I don't think there was a three-to-one difference between Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle on their policies. There are some differences, but they're not that vast. If it was just about the policies, it was just about affordable housing, investment in our neighborhoods, public safety, you know, uh, returning investments to neighborhood schools, elected school board, they both pledged to work on all those things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think fundamentally that was what it was. And you referred to personality. I actually think personality was mostly missing from this race. <laughs> I don't yeah, think that right. until the very end, Tony um, ever tried to reintroduce herself to the electorate as here's the person and here's the record I have. Mm-hmm. It's only at the end she started reminding people she had been a teacher and sort of her journey. And Lori did that a little bit to the end too. I grew up in a, you know, in a, uh, from a family that didn't have much in, in Ohio, and my brother himself was caught up in the criminal justice system. So we heard a little bit of that, but I didn't hear any voters talking about that stuff. Wow, Lori's really got a great story. I really think it's like Lori is not associated with Ed Burke, and Tony is. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, that, that was a lot, a lot there, uh, Ed Burke's impact. And also, I, uh, I got to give my beloved Sun Times credit. I do think uh, their front page editorial endorsement. Uh, really helped Lori Lightfoot in that first round, uh, got people, particularly in the North side, uh, to think of her as a legitimate alternative, gave her credibility in people's eyes. You know, Mick, you and I have talked about this so many times, the mentality of Chicagoans. They don't like to vote for someone they think is going to lose. Right. I, I do not understand that mentality, but be it as that's alive in the mindset of so many people in the city. They want to vote for the winner. And I, I think that the Sun-Times, when they put her on that front page the way they did, sort of sent him out, this, this lady could win, I'll vote for her. Sure, and I, I think that you saw that escalate during the course of the campaign where you had you know, some of Rahm's donors from the financial sector hmm. starting to kick in big money to Lori. You had um, you know, your, one of your previous guests, Nick Spizzato, and his union jumped on board. You had, you know, Matt O'Shea in the Southwest side get on board. And, and and even in the days before the election, I'm thinking to myself, it's the Friday before the election is over on Tuesday, and there's still people coming out with endorsements. It's like, okay, you know, we got three days to go. Now you're now you're on Team Lightfoot. Well, to your point, everybody likes a winner. Yeah, there's a bandwagon likes. effect, and it's sort of like, how many more can we fit on this thing? And how about our friend uh, Adolfo Mondragon? He weighed in on the Facebook or the live chat here. He says, uh, people voted against boss politics. That's it. Burke equals boss politics. Yeah. Uh, I think he's right. Uh, El Dragon, yeah. We're, that, <laughs> we're, you're coming back in about two weeks, though. Get ready. Um, but... Uh, the um, the one of the you you, you alluded to uh, Lori's appearance at the hideout when we had her there, and one of the the most memorable moments of that night for me, Mick, was when there was a question uh, from somebody in the audience who was actually sitting on the stage with us. I can't remember the person's name, and but they asked Lori Lightfoot uh, specifically about her role as um, on the police board, Mayor Rahm's appointee to the police board, and how coldly indifferent uh, she seemed to the plight of the survivors of people who've been killed uh, by shot by police. I don't know if you remember this moment. Right. And uh, what could she say to sort of assure uh, people uh, in Chicago that they think she's heartless? And her response was that she had to have that face 
of stoic indifference because she was uh, in there in a role of a judge. And as a judge, she has to be, quote unquote, completely objective and fair, not show any favoritism because she said uh, the Fraternal Order of Police was, were watching us. And if, uh, if they detected any sign of bias, they would use that against us. Um, did you find that a believable explanation when she offered it uh, that night at the hideout? I actually did because I grew up in the home of a lawyer. My dad's an attorney. And um, I was, uh, by extension, taught to think, to think that way. To, you know, the logic of an attorney is that everyone requires a defense. Not everyone you represent do you side with Mm -hmm. and while at home over the dinner table you may have something to say about your clients even or the case there's a completely different set of rules when you're in the courtroom or when you're working on a case to put it another way you and i have talked about this offline before but a uh, a very noted uh criminal defense attorney from around here with whom i've spoken and and talked to a number of occasions um has said a good lawyer should be able to take oh, yeah. either side of a case well, who said to, that again it's tom durkin, oh, I don't, durkin. I, no, no need to keep him secret <laughs> oh, this is, but this is a person a who's who's known for yeah. defending uh you everybody know, uh, officials uh who have been uh, accused of stealing money mm-hmm. um people accused of wanting to go join isis uh i mean a whole array you know drug ca- people in in the middle of drug cases so some people that a lot of the public will look at is these are unsavory clients and he is a defense attorney. So he obviously believes all of them deserve a defense. But I was surprised to hear him say a good attorney should be able to try the case from the other side too. I always try to think about the fact that each one of my cases, I should be able, I, I should be in the prosecutor's shoes too. I should be able to do that job. So taking a step back, returning to Lightfoot, she is an attorney, mm-hmm. and not only in her role as a police board, she is, uh, she was a former federal prosecutor uh, in in her private practice. Um, while she was a prosecutor uh, for the government, then she turned around her private practice and worked on some cases to try to get people out of prison. I mean, so again, this is the mentality. If you're a good lawyer. You use the law to make sure everyone has representation. And so I can, I, I totally bought that, that that was sort of her public, the, the public persona she had to have to try to um, give everyone that, the assurance that she was being fair. Yeah. And uh, I, I found it a convincing argument, but I'm an old guy. And I know that uh, many uh, younger activists did not find it convincing. And you alluded to this earlier, Mick, when you said that up until the election day itself, uh, well, there were commercials on TV that were trying to depict her as cold and indifferent and uncaring and uh, too close to police. It's interesting. I don't know if you saw this in today's Sun-Times. Uh, there was an article in which she's already suggesting that um, the feds reconsider uh, the, the case against those three police officers who I think were accused of uh, making up uh, claims uh, uh, police on the police report or the yeah, the, conspir- the conspiracy case related to the Laquan McDonald yeah, the, shooting. The three, yeah. I think there's three police officers who were acquitted by a judge. Anyway, she's saying reconsider that. So it's interesting that she's not... Here she's in this moment where she's right about to uh, take... Uh, off power and is going to have to deal uh, with the police department, going to have to negotiate. Just got done meeting with the police superintendent. Right. Yeah. Who, uh, she apparently is going to retain at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So, so, uh, so what do you, what do you make of that? What do you think that, uh, that indicates about what she'll be like as a mayor in dealing with the police? 
Well, I think like all mayors, she's going to repeatedly send the message that she has the backs of the police department as a whole, and whoever is in that job as superintendent is going to be her partner in trying to uh, improve public safety around the city. But listen, her whole set of experiences that she touted on the campaign trail, uh, the, the key parts of her resume that she kept coming back to were, I'm in this for a police accountability. I have a record of mm-hmm. police accountability. So she's going to have to deliver on that for sure. That's just the mood of where people are. Yeah. But she has a difficult job, Ben, as we know, because the FOP contract is coming up. They were just out the day before the election protesting Kim Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't even go down that rabbit hole right now. But, you know, it's a difficult environment to try to play both sides of this. But in some ways, she's going to have to. Yeah, I have my cheat sheet, by the way. And my next guest, uh, Jeff Johnson is uh, come in the uh, room. I love it when my guests come early. Jeff Johnson, the union man, knows more about pensions than anyone alive. But uh, this is for him as well. Uh, Fran Spielman, unbelievable Fran Spielman, uh, has Lightfoot's uh, long to-do list. I don't know if you saw this. Make. I did, it, it yeah. ran on the day after the election. It's like the cheat sheet. I, I was exhausted by the time I got to the end of the story. It's like, oh, I know, but this how is, are you going to get I'm going to go through this? this with Jeff Johnson and all my guests coming out. I mean, this there's a lot of stuff. It's formidable. It formidable, is a formidable list of list. challenges that yeah. Lori Lightfoot is facing. I had a formidable list of challenges for France Spielman just to get him in one article. Uh, but yeah, and at the top of the list, well, it's not literally at the top of the list, but right there, police contract. And here's the opening sentence. And I want Jeff Johnson to be listening to this as well, because I'm going to ask him to weigh in. Emmanuel punted to his successor. He punted. He sure did. And who better to deal with it than Lightfoot? In other words, there's a police contract coming up. I think it, uh, last year it should have been signed. I want to say last year it came uh, due. So there's going to be all that payback money when they, you know, Sure. We're going to have to pay back the money that we should have. Retro money is what they call it. Um, so uh, she's going to have to negotiate that contract. Uh, that's that's going to be tough, Mick. What do you? Well, it is going to be tough. And I just let's just extend the uh, analogy painfully for a second. If Rom punted on the police contract, isn't it interesting how he wants to spike the ball after scoring a touchdown with Lincoln Yards? So there are certain things on his agenda that he really wants to get done. He wants to say, "Look, this is part of uh, my this is part of my legacy." And there are other things. Pensions generally, the police yeah. contract, the teacher's contract for that matter. Yeah. Uh, all these issues that are looming that are going to be very expensive and going to make basically no one happy in the end. Um, he has uh, very nicely left for his success. That is a with. great point. Let's accentuate that point. That's an excellent point. He punts on the police contract, which is a service that I would think most people in Chicago want. I know there's some hardcore out there who say no police, but Mick, I think nobody would ever get elected to office in the city of Chicago saying no police. All right. So I think most people in the city of Chicago want police and most, well, I'm speaking for myself. Most people in the city of Chicago want retired police officers to have a pension. All right. He punted on that one, the thing that people wanted, but he's throwing through Lincoln Yards. Everything he can to get the Lincoln Yards thing through. Absolutely. Unbelievable. What a mayor. All right. uh, So this photo, I just, one photo, I got to get your opinion on this picture in today's front page of the Tribune. Tony, (laughs) Tony and Lori holding hands in prayer. Uh, are they, it's, there was that old joke that, uh, you know, are they holding hands to keep from slugging each other? Or, uh, do you think, do you think they're uh, really reached uh, 
uh, some kind of accord. Maybe. Well, the most striking thing about this picture, <laughs> I just have to say, yeah. is that, and everybody should see it, uh, front page, above the fold, shot on the trip this morning, is um, everyone pictured in it is closing their eyes in apparent prayer, except for the person leading it. Jesse, Jesse Jackson, Jackson, whose eyes are wide open, <laughs> looking around to see who else is looking at him. <laughs> right, I love that. I noticed that. That is just a classic shot. It is. Yes. Um, I wish, let's show it to our listeners. Oh, we got to get that Facebook live. See that, going. listeners? Yeah, right, Look at that right, thing. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was, I just got a kick of that. I share that with you. It looks like they really love each other. And now, as soon as the election's over, they start stop gouging each other's eyes out. All right, Mick, let's get to the city council question. I'm going to be raising this with Jeff Johnson as well. Uh, Fran Spielman's article today was hilarious because uh, it's quoting some unnamed alderman who's saying, if she doesn't play ball with us, we're going to get rough and tumble. Right. But right. he or she, whoever that alderman is, is so courageous, but they don't want their name of used course, in the story. You know? then, then there's this whole discussion about uh, this really gets me about whether the mayor will choose the next committee mm-hmm. chairs, which is a very important point. But it's always framed as I mean, the Trib had an editorial uh, a week or so ago, you know, next mayor, let the city council pick their own chairs. Here's this this unnamed, courageous, unnamed <laughs> alderman saying, let us pick our chairs. You don't need the mayor to let you Absolutely. do it. You get to decide whether you do it, alderman. Yeah. It is written in your own rules of of order that you are supposed to pick your com- your committee chairs. So if you don't want the mayor to be involved, don't let her be involved. Grab the power that is already there for you. You know, the fact that you have given it away to the mayor in years past for, for whatever reason or reasons, um, well, if you don't like it, then change it. It's up to the alderman in there. That's my point. Well, the it's sad- not up to the mayor. It's well, up to the alderman. All right, now this gets to mandate talk. Because I think based on what you said, and I agree with you, that three to one margin, the ultimate mandate was for something new. And uh, it was also a mandate against Ed Burke. Let's be honest. Sure. That Ed Burke indictment came down. And everything that Ed Burke symbolizes. Symbolizes Patrick O'Connor lost uh, in a runoff, who was the, the baby Burke in the city council. He was just right below Burke. So it was clearly a mandate of a certain type of um chairmanship has to end in the city council that leads me to this the aldermen quoted in that story were indicating that they would rebel if uh scott wagasback was put in as finance committee chair and scott will by the way be a guest here on the show tomorrow uh scott is uh very much of the reform independent persuasion and has always been uh championing the the need for transparency but he doesn't work well that's the euphemistic. Well, the, way all, of all those it. things you mentioned have made him unpopular in the city council, which has had its own set of rules um, go along to get along. Mm-hmm. We heard it when the news was revealed about Danny Solis wearing a wire on Ed Burke, and the outrage that even some uh, you know self-proclaimed proclaimed progressives uh, you know said they they were just they were dismayed and outraged that someone wear a wire on another member of their group. So there is a real closed ranks thing. When you ever have somebody come in there talking about reform, they tend to think, you know, this guy's a real a-hole mm-hmm. and he's they, showing they don't us like up. it. They're showing us up. Have you ever seen the movie American Gangster? It's a great flick. It's from the 90s. I have not seen oh, it. Oh, Denzel Washington. Great movie. But 
Um, You've seen every single Denzel Washington movie. <laughs> that is true. I love and Denzel. And you think they're all great. So just so Actually, that's that. not true. He did this movie in the 90s <laughs> where, who was he in the movie with? It was like the little white guy, and he and Denzel were like brothers separated at birth. All right, little white guy. <laughs> narrowed the field. Let me think. No, I can't think of it. Jeff Johnson's thinking, too. He was, Jeff, by the way, when this movie came out, was a freshman at Lane Tech. That's how old this movie is. Uh, but anyway, uh, I do love, but let me stay focused. All right, all right. In American Game, Gangster, uh, there's a cop, Russell Crowe plays this cop, who gets in trouble with the rest of the, the force in New York City because he turns in about a million dollars of cash right. that he could have kept himself, that he discovered as evidence in a car. He uh, looked into a, the trunk of a car from a drug dealer and found this money. He's so honest, he plays by the books, he turned it in. Everybody turns on him because they don't right. think they can trust him. It's like them. Serpico. Yeah, it's like Serpico. Yeah. And and so um, in this case, I think the feeling embedded in this quotes in the Fran story about Scott Wagesback, he's such a Dudley Do-Right. He goes, he's so like for transparency and for all that Ben and Mick stuff that nobody trusts him. Right. And they, they don't want, so it's so bizarre. I believe the voters, that three to one margin was for more transparency. Um, it seems as though the city council wants to keep it the way it was, Mick. So do you think that Lori Lightfoot was going to try, will like stand up behind someone like Scott Wagesback to be the head of the finance committee? Or do you think she'll look for somebody who's a little less Dudley Do-Right? Well, I think um, it will be very interesting. I think that she will uh, ultimately try to find someone who is going to uh, get the votes and support of other people in the city council. I mean, she can't afford to fight too many fronts, fight on too many fronts. We just talked about that very imposing list of of things she's going to have to take on that Fran outlined the other day and how uh, dismaying it is to see all of our problems. So you don't want to have a war with the city council. She'll find some way, I'm sure, to say that she's being hands off and letting the city council rule itself. Um, but the truth is, the, of the, ma- the truth of the matter is, let's take a step back from the city council. Every other legislative body in the country picks its own leaders. Now, do you think that voters across the United States would pick Mitch McConnell to be the leader of the U.S. Senate? The answer is no. But the Republicans in the Senate control it, and they have picked Mitch McConnell for various reasons. So we can't have both things here. Uh, we can't have everything we want. All right. If you're a reformer, you like Scott Wagesback, uh, but you also want to see the city council be a legitimate legislative body. You may not get both of those mm-hmm. things. I think it would be a step forward if the if the council picked its own leaders, um, and then we could start talking about are these the right leaders? Put pressure on them to to choose more wisely if they do. But even to have them pick their own leaders, mm-hmm. I think would be a step forward. Yeah, I guess what you're saying, and you're, and, and you're making a very compelling point, I guess what you're saying is that uh, if any alderman, be it Scott Wagesback, what have you, uh, wants to follow Russell, Russell Crowe's model, as Russell Crowe was an American gangster, to use the analogy, then you have to expect you're not going to be popular with the other people in the council. And it is a democracy. They do get to elect their chair. Uh, and so what you would hope is that whoever gets that seat would uh, follow the Scott Wagesback 
playbook, even if it isn't Scott Wagesbeck. Right, and I, and I don't want to make it specific to Scott Wagesbeck, but um, whoever this person is, I think in this day and age, is going to have to present themselves both as reform-minded and someone who can work with the other members of the council. Whether you like it or not, uh, most of the people in the city council will be returning incumbents, including a lot of really old-school people. So uh, legislative bodies are elected by voters in small, in this case, wards, small districts, this case, wards. And uh, we don't always like the people in the next, who the next ward elects. We don't always like the people, you know, who the voters in our ward elect, but uh, that's the way the legislative body works. So someone's going to have to form coalitions. That's what I'm saying. All right. That's Mick Dumkey from ProPublica. Love talking politics with Mick Dumkey. I'm going to get him here on a regular basis. It's not that easy to get Mick Dumkey in on a regular basis. Man. Good sport coming today. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right. Very good. Dennis, always good to see you too. Jeff Johnson. Even though you're wearing a San Diego hat. I know. Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn said the same thing to him. I'm telling you. I I thought this would be the most low-key hat I could wear to have everybody stop bitching at me. <laughs> Pat Quinn, the other day, why are you wearing that San okay, Diego I'm hat? I'm from downstate Illinois. When we wear a Cardinals hat? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm good. What did you say? White Sox is from Blaine Tech. What's My he- favorite part of the new Ben Jarofsky show when Ben talks to people without a microphone. <laughs> Listeners, huh? What? <laughs> That's Jeff Johnson. He's waiting on deck. That McDumpke, the immortal McDumpke, will be at the hideout by, I guarantee you, by May 7th, we'll know who our guest will be, right, Mick? We will, or we'll know we don't have any guests. Either way, you should all come out. We'll have a good time. Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back after this. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, everybody. Producer Dennis here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, April 4th is moments away. But before we get into said hour number two, we have to thank the following unions for making this show possible again. Bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First off, thank you to the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Yes, it is Thursday, April 4th, and live from the Chicago Reader's Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
In this hour of the program, it's the return of union man slash pension guru, Jeff Johnson. And we welcome Ann Kirkner from the striking UIC grad students. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. We're moving in the hour to the Ben Jarofsky show. Mick Dumkey has left the building. Mick Dumkey has left the building, but Jeff Johnson has come in his place. Jeff Johnson, union man uh, with the Electrical Workers Union and pension uh, guru of the city of Chicago, uh, a political geek if there ever was one. We're ready to take more of a deep dive into uh, the outcome from uh, Tuesday's election. But before we do that, Dr. D, you got an update for me. Absolutely, I do. Right now on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, we asked all of you a question. If you could use one word to describe last night's runoff elections with Lori Lightfoot walloping Tony Preckwinkle, <laughs> winning all 50 wards, wow. good Lord, <laughs> what would that word be? If yeah. you could use one word, what would it be? Uh, we have a few more of your one words to read, so let's do that real quick. One word to describe Tuesday's runoff elections. How about Neil? Neil posts Cowabunga. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cowabunga. Sure. Why not? Yeah. How about Brett? Brett puts blowout. Yeah, blowout, man. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anna's one word, deflating. Wow. Mm. wow. Deflating. I mean, she mm. must be a Tony Preckwinkle I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. She, she's not the campaign staffer that was anonymous. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. Shout out to Jerry. Courage. Jerry's one word, cop. Cop? Lord oh, Michael. another one of those people who just uh, thinks that Lori is a uh, cop because she was a prosecutor. Okay. Brian's one word, simplistic. Brianna's one word, yikes. <laughs> Al's one word, yeah. yawn. Oh, man. Guy, <laughs> how can you say yawn? Man, we just don't love Chicago politics. We're going to do Tony's one word. And no, not Tony Preckwinkle, just regular Tony. Tony's one word is daily-esque. Hmm? Ooh, da- well, meaning that there was a big margin of victory, like uh, Richie Daly got yeah. in 2003, I want to say, against Paul Jakes. Okay. And finally, Alex's one word, burn, referring to former Mayor Jane Byrne. Ah, Jane Byrne, mm. B-Y-R-N-E. I was around when she, uh, this is before uh, Jeff Johnson's time or your time, when she defeated Michael Bolin. I got to tell you, Jeff, I don't know if I was ever more excited, even as much as I love Harold Washington, when Jane Byrne beat Michael Bolanik in 1979, it was jubilation because this is way before your time. Talk to your parents about well, this. Well, okay, okay, you were excited. How did that pan out for well, you did four it years pay- later? Okay, All you, right. f- I just want to say why I was excited, because the city was so dysfunctional. Uh, Bolanik and the city's response to that massive snow, it was like this indifference. We couldn't get our cars out, you know what I mean? And and it was just this indifference. The trains weren't working that well. And uh, the, the fact that the people stood up and said, you know what, we're going to vote our basic self-interest that's what excited me and she was she defeated belandic and shout out to johnny joe johnny joe on the live stream says deflating could be a reference to the voter turnout ah yeah possibly terrible turnout jeff but hey send us your one word honestly i think we're done reading them on the show but be great to hear your input at benny j show on both facebook and twitter ben spell that last name for him j-o-r-a-v as in victory s-k-y there you go and at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show by the way if you're listening to this and you've yet to like the facebook page and you know who you are i'm talking to you today's the day or if you're listening on the download tonight is the night Go over and like the Ben Jarofsky Show on Facebook. We are very close to reaching 1,000 likes. I think we're at 986. Mm. So when we reach 1,000 likes, we will have a caption contest, like we said here. Uh, Not sure what the caption contest will be. uh, Feel free to send us a a suggestion. Send us a picture. Uh, We will have our next caption contest when we reach 1,000. So head over to the page. Like the page. 
And uh, yeah, the contest will happen when we hit a thousand. All right, thank you very much, uh, Dennis. Uh, Jeff Johnson, my guest, as I was saying. And uh, Jeff, man, I didn't see it. Co- I mean, I expected Lori would win. Did not see 75% coming. Did you see this mandate? This margin, uh, I should say. No, no. Uh, once we started seeing the low voter turnout, uh, it started worrying me. I was, you know, I was ballparking at 54%. And then the story would have been that how Tony came back. And, you know, anything less than 60, I think, probably would have been considered not a loss per se, but. Um, and then, yeah, when it came in at, what, you know, 70 plus percent. <laughs> <laughs> That's his one word. That's, like, That's, one word. That's actually not a bad word. Uh, all right. So I'll ask you the question I asked Mick. I don't know if you're here when I asked him this. You, when somebody rolls up 75 percent, that's indication that voters want something in particular. In your estimation, what were voters seeking when the, when, with that 75 percent margin of victory? Uh, I think it's change, uh, for lack of a better word. They consider Tony the old school, the machine, and everything. And you know what's interesting is two years ago, three years ago, if you would ask somebody what this election was going to be about, it was going to be about pensions and crime. And then fast forward now, it was about change and corruption, and you know finances weren't even talked about. It was like, ah, we'll get to that later. You know, we'll deal with that after the election. <laughs> Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, it was, it's crazy how, you know, in a couple of years, and then maybe it's just the candidate with uh, Lori and Tony, it was highlighted so much. Um, I think that's kind of, you know, it was about change and, you know, and plus too, it's, it's a combination of change and it's a combination of Tony's seven negatives that were out there that people, like, and they never even hammered her on the negatives in this. It was more, it was worse in the uh, general election. What do you mean seven negatives? What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I mean, it was the things that were like haunted her, the sugar tax, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, all the, the patronage issues and everything. There were about six or seven okay, of them I that if you, wanted to, if you wanted to run a negative campaign, you could have gone after seven different issues. And they hung out there and, you know, they were brought up little bits here and there. And it was, you know, uh, you, you know, you could have gone after for it. And, you know, Lori took the high, the high road, ran a clean campaign and didn't go after it. I think that resonated as well. People mm-hmm. knew the negatives. But she didn't have to bring them up right. and run, ran, you know, ran a clean campaign, stayed you know, positive and, you know, don't, uh, you know, get in the mud. And, you know, if they attack you, attack them back, but, you know, defend yourself, but don't go too negative on things. All right. When you say change, uh, do you think there's any specific policy changes that people want or do you think it's just change in terms of a fresh face? I think it's fresh face. Yeah, I think you win, you know, the general public, you know, 30 voter turnout to begin with. I think the general public doesn't really know what they want. They just know they don't like that. And that's kind of what it was, you know, as far as policies or anything. You know, like you were talking about with the police contract and everything earlier. I think, you know, yeah, yeah, that's bad. We need to change it. Well, if you ask your average person, what do you want to change? Uh, change, you know, <laughs> they don't know, you know, so it's interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, they want change. They don't know how, though. Yeah, I haven't seen the exact numbers on the turnout. You said 32 percent. I'll go with that number for the moment. Um, what do you attribute that to, Jeff? I'm a political geek. I can't yeah. imagine not voting. Thirty, actually, Obviously, 68 percent of the city, if your number is right, disagree with that. Yeah. So what do you attribute that to? Uh, I attribute to a couple of factors, uh, especially where we're at in the lovely Sun-Times building. Shout out to the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, uh, I think I live in this area, mm-hmm. and 
I live in a transplant neighborhood. I have not met anybody in the West Loop that's from Chicago. Like I say, I'm born and raised in Chicago. They look at me like I'm weird. Uh, we are a transplant city. We're a Big Ten city. If you went to school in Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera, you come here when you graduate for a job. Yep. And then they stay here. And then there's this normal transgression of, you know, you get an apartment in Lakeview or Wrigleyville with two of your friends. And then, you know, once you get a significant boyfriend or girlfriend, then you get your own apartment in River North or West Loop. And then you have one or two kids and you're in a two bedroom. And once you have the second kid, you need to bounce out to the suburbs. And so we have a very high transplant uh area in the city of Chicago, along with uh, a lot of it is just jaded, you know, a lot of just your your people that have been around from the city for the last 30, 40 years are turned off at how things are. Why vote? What's it matter? Eh. And it's a lot of the connotations of like how Chicago politics run, run the machine, you know, my vote's not going to matter. You know how many times I heard that uh, prior to the election? My vote's not going to matter. Um, things like that. It turns people off. And how do you fix that? I, I don't know. You know, it's... Uh, you know, I always say that the average kind of citizen gets their news walking past a newspaper stand and that's they catch the headlines and they're so turned off and they live in their bubble. They live in their own bubble with things. And if it doesn't affect them and what their interests are, they don't care. Mm -hmm. By the way, my vote is not going to matter. Boy, is that not true? If you take a look at some of these automatic races, uh, what's it? 64 votes is the difference between uh, Kappelman. Um, and a lot in, yeah. in, uh, in the 46 war. 29 votes is the difference with Deb and uh, Rosanna. Uh, yeah. Who is up up in that one? That, that You're talking about the, we're going to get. Deb it. Mel was down 29. Last time I checked. Last time I checked. Yeah. So votes do matter, folks. <laughs> they really do matter. And plus, it's your own, uh, uh, you know, your personal stake. I mean, uh, I know people who did not vote at all in the mayor's race because they didn't like uh, either candidate, they voted for treasurer or alderman yeah. in the runoff, but they didn't like either candidate, Jeff, so they didn't vote. It's their personal statement, if you will. It's something that matters to them. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And uh, all right, so when you're constructing a campaign and you take into consideration what you just said, and I think there's a lot of truth to what you said about how much this is a transplant city, a Big Ten city. You know, on Saturday, you go to some of the bars. It's like the Iowa bar, the Ohio State bar. Yeah, exactly. Bar. A West End uh, Bar and Grill right down the street is a Michigan bar on Saturday. And I walk by, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's not a big, it's not an Illinois bar. Yeah. It's not a Northwestern bar. All right, so what does it say that if 32% of the population of the electorate uh, is is the one that determines who our next mayor is, who our next most important position is. What does it say about who is deciding? Like, can you give me a snapshot of what that 32% are? Are they more educated? Are they older? That kind of thing. What does it say about the people who actually make that decision? Uh, I will say that it's a large chunk city workers because the mayor is our boss. And as a, my real job is I'm a fire department dispatcher as well. If, uh, um, the mayor's our boss. I tell members all the time, you know, that you know, your vote matters because this is your boss. It dictates contracts, dictates working conditions and everything. Um, so you get a large chunk of up in 41, up in 19, or down in 19. You know, 19 has the best voter turnout there is. And, you know, I love Matt O'Shea, but, you know, our members are engaged and all this other stuff. No, they're city workers. That's why they're engaged. 
days. No, let me just say this one point. Matt O'Shea uh, is the alderman of the 19th Ward, and uh, everybody loves Matt O'Shea. But don't, I mean, come on. They gave him, the, I don't know which article was in the Sun-Times today. They It was like a, the highest. Matt highest O'Shea got out the 84%. Yeah. I'm like, come on, exactly, man. Exactly, yeah. Matt O'Shea did not, it's not like the, the, the city workers in the 19th yeah. Ward. What did Matt say? I'm yeah, gonna exactly. Yeah. I, I know, I know, but it's the city workers that, you know, pensions matter. They're, the mayor is their boss. They're contract negotiations, mm-hmm. uh, working conditions and everything, you know, their taxes. And plus, we have residency requirements where we have to live in the city. So it's something that, hello, yeah. um, it's something that it matters to them because they have to vote. You know, yeah. They have to live in a city and they have to vote. Uh, and uh, by the way, my next guest is here early as well. I love it when guests come early. We're going to bring her on. Uh, Ann Kirkner, striking UIC grad student. I'm talking with Jeff Johnson at the moment. We're going through the uh, election results and what it means. Uh, all right, city workers, that gets yes. to the big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, city workers vote their interests. Yes. Vote, uh, vote your paycheck, vote your pension. And pension, pension, pension. When yeah. we talked about Fran Spielman's great cheat sheet about what the new mayor is going to face, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. all out there, and police contract is there. We talked yeah. about that. Uh, but also on the list, where is it? I don't, have off all, I don't have it right in front of me. But also on the list is pensions, pensions. and budgets. Yeah. Uh, I'll read to you. I know you... you probably fetter this one anyway lightfoot must find 276 million <laughs> i always call i'm gonna be honest folks first question ever pension story jeff johnson what's that number again uh lightfoot must find 276 million now and 1.2 billion by 2023 yeah. to bankroll the four pension funds for the city employees on top of that the city's corporate fund has shortfalls of 215.7 million next year and 362.2 million in 2021 and that doesn't include the cost of new contracts and back pay. That's that retro, retro I was talking about retro. for police officers and firefighters. So, Jeff Johnson, where are we going to find that money? Uh, there's no magic bullet, right? You're not going to, you, you, uh, residents have had their property taxes raised for the last six years. And we, I probably told you the story, but my father, born, or, uh, born in Kentucky, moved to Chicago, been living here for 50 years, said, you know, my taxes never went up like this under uh, daily went through with Rom, you know, my taxes. I'm like, well, do you see that that might've been a problem? You know, they were yeah. kept artificially low for 22 years. Yeah. And you know, he, that's my yeah. father. I'm like, yeah. well, they go, they go towards taxes. They go towards the pension. Yeah. And so Rom gets in and Rom says, like, Hey, there's some uh, stuff on your desk. You might want to take a, or uh, daily says to Rom, there might be some bills on your desk. You might want to look at. And then all of a sudden starts looking at him going, Oh my God. So he did what he had to do. He raised the revenue. Yeah. And um, so we're in this issue now. And the funny thing, not the funny, Thing, but there's a big mantra with city workers mm-hmm. cut waste if we and there's a big image that we can cut our way out of this problem yeah and that's not true uh, we're not gonna be able to cut our way out of this problem you have to be able to say that you cut or yeah. you tried to cut or you reformed right because you can turn around to the taxpayer listen i tried to cut waste yeah and then you're gonna bang them with the uh, revenue uh increases um it's gonna there's no magic bullet it's gonna be a hodgepodge of about 18 different things you know and just uh raise a nickel here do this do that you know and uh, with marijuana and um, gaming and everything, that's uh, it's an angle to go. And I'm more optimistic now. I've been talking to some people recently about the Chicago casino. Before, I always kind of figured that it was a statewide campaign to mm-hmm. kind of whack it. But, you know, these casinos down in Shawnee National Forest over there and the East uh, St. Louis and stuff, I think that they're not against it so much it's the surrounding ones like rivers is going to be the one who takes the biggest hit and i think that there's a way to overcome that though well you know it's funny uh 
I don't know if you were saying that it's city workers that tell you cut ways. Whenever a city worker tells me, and I get calls all, all the time for city workers who want me to write stories about the waste in this department <laughs> yeah, or that well, department. You well, okay. You know, yeah. and, and then, Ben, you got to write this. You got to write that. You know, yeah. but don't use my name. Okay, well, okay, all, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. There you my, go. My source. <laughs> yeah, my source. Uh, it's, they're never the waste. So the, the city worker that will call me about the <laughs> exactly. way, they're yeah. not, it's this guy, Bruno. Oh my yeah. God, he's connected. And his uncle is this guy. So nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to get their jobs. Yeah. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to get their jobs. Cut and the it, there's work. some stat. I think it's like 83% of the budget is my salary and my pension and healthcare. It's 80, 83% of the budget's me. And when you tell city workers that like, okay, cut. Yeah, uh, they're going to cut you. Yeah, and you know, but the uh, the funny thing about that is, uh, one of my you know some of my uh, people that work at OEMC and work at different city uh, jobs, they are the best resource to have when it comes time to you want to reform government. Talk to the gentleman that's been working thirty five years there. Mm. He knows where you can change things. You can cut like that. That's a waste of money. We don't need to do it. You're doing it wrong or whatever. And it's the members that do the job for thirty five years are the best resources. I agree with that point. I also agree, and I say this all the time, and I'll just keep saying it until I just fade away uh, into non-entity existence. Jeff Johnson. A person on the payroll is a direct investment in the city of Chicago. Oh, exactly. They live in the city of Chicago. They're mandated to live in the city of Chicago. When I go on my crusades against the Lincoln Yard TIF, that money is not going to be directly infused into the city of Chicago necessarily because not everybody who's getting that money, I don't even know who the investors are who are getting that money. They may not live in the city of Chicago. But if you hire some guy at the uh, 911 center, he or she, live in the city of Chicago. So that's a direct investment in the city of Chicago. Your taxpayers, your tax dollars are going right in the city. 80, a, 87 cents that. of every dollar paid to a city worker stays in the city. We shop, we spend money, we you know go out to the restaurants, uh, and 87 cents, and it churns in the city through uh, you know taxes and everything. All right, so Mayor-elect Lightfoot, if you're listening, I know you are. Can the Lincoln Yards deal hire a few more city workers for crying out loud? <laughs> hey, real quick, uh, tier three members for pensions, Yeah, they pay 93% of their entire pension over their career. Explain what that means. Uh, so they, uh, tier three members pay uh, started after 2017 or wait, we got to have to start with the tier. There's a tier one, tier, there's a tier, tier one, two, tier two, or tier three. So tier three members hired basically today, uh, they're paying 11 percent of their paycheck into the pension and they are working until they're 65 and it's called normal cost. How much would this benefit be worth uh, over your life over like, you know, what they, they do, they run these numbers and uh, of the benefit we're going to pay out. They pay 93% of their entire pension. So what's so, the other 7% from the city? Yeah. Yeah. Investments, uh, city contributions. You, you get away from like, you know, uh, get back to hiring city workers, 93%. 93. And that's okay. So one more time. Folks, uh, tier one are the people uh, hired who, prior to 2011. Right. And so the state constitution protects uh, their interests. And that's money out the door now that, yeah, that's the, this is the problem now, the tier ones. Yeah, but, well, I wouldn't call it's them a problem. It's not a problem. problem. No, okay. I, I, yeah, I say that. <laughs> I have to I'll, I'll get in trouble. Johnson. Yeah, I'll get in trouble for pensions. It, it, yeah. But it's the financial issue it's now. It's the issue. It's yeah. the challenge. It's a billion dollars out the door a year. And when you were we t- alluding to, to the fact that Mayor Daly was not contributing to it, that is. That's, that's the where, yeah, that's, that's the problem. The problem. Okay, uh, so you make an obligation with somebody, you make a contractual obligation to somebody. Deal. It's yeah, a deal. Contract. All right. Okay. So, but people they 
they what they called it pension reform, and I got that in quotes. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. new employees pay a greater portion yes. of their contribution to their and pensions. they work longer, and you know they have uh, their pensions are capped. Yeah, and uh, you know, but the theory is that you took the job knowing this, yeah. so legally it's protected. Now, one thing I, I have to say, I like, I do like this, is the fact that in this last election, there was only one candidate who openly said he was going to blow up the pension system. <laughs> His name was Bill Daly. Yeah. Uh, he did not make the runoff. Yeah. The two candidates who made the runoff both said they supported pension yes. obligations. They yes. believed in those contracts, and they're going to honor those contracts. So they were swimming against the tide of the Chicago Tribune editorial mm. board, uh, corporate Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. So I have to believe uh, that Mayor-elect Lightfoot is not going to backtrack on that if only because she doesn't want the unnecessary fight yeah exactly no and uh miss lightfoot uh, has said pensions are a promise and she did an event down in 19 with uh matt o'shea when they, she just you know all she had to say was pensions are a promise people were clapping all right we're good let's go um and so i you know it's now it's just a matter of like i said uh that the billion dollars out the door now you have to find ways to pay for it. Yeah, no, you're going to have to find ways. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, on the 47th Ward, uh, yes. Matt Martin, who will be on the show next week, by the way, uh, was victorious in the runoff, got 62 yeah. to almost 63% of the vote against Michael Negron, Mayor Rahm's guy. Uh, and uh, Martin called for, which is pretty striking for an aldermanic candidate, he called for exploration, at least, into a... Uh, income tax on the highest earners, a city income tax in the city of Chicago. The groan hit him with everything he had on that one. And it Jeff didn't Johnson, it didn't stick. It didn't stick. Sixty-three no. percent of the voters in the forty-seventh ward, which is an upscale ward. So yes. some of those people are going to be hit. I presume the the people that are going to get hit were the thirty-seven percent of the vote yeah, that went exactly. for the groan. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think about that as a potential? Well, the fighting forty-seven, right? <laughs> uh, 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 no, no, I, I don't think it was fighting forty-seven or Ed. It was uh, owner Paul Rosenfeld, the committeeman now. No, 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 fight forty-seven. Yeah, he's stole that line yeah. from Ed Kelly. Yeah. They were the fighting 47 um, under Ed Kelly. And I've talked to Matt a couple times on pensions, and he's extremely interested in it, and he wants to find ways. Like, you know, he, he, asks, he asks good questions, and he's engaged in it. Um, and I think that that's a, you know, it, the problem you're going to have is uh, with uh, the governor introducing over 250000 uh, uh, income uh, that you know there's going to be a higher tax. Well, where's that 250 going to come from? Or the majority of it's the 606, you know, uh, code, and you're going to have city uh, residents getting uh, tagged. You're talking about the, the really wealthy areas, yes, in the city of Chicago. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a large chunk of that revenue, and it's going to go down to Springfield, and then you're going to turn around and raise another tax on them, and that's where unless they work out a deal where the money gets. Uh, prorated per se. Hey, the city of Chicago is generating more of that. We need more of this state revenue than Peru. Yeah. Well, I would say an absolutely essential, if you're going to impose uh, income tax uh, in the city, and if you're going to raise uh, the state income tax, which is uh, on the wealthiest people, which is what uh, Governor Pritzker is proposing. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do those two things, you have to link it to property tax cuts. You cannot yeah, continue to that. rely on the property. You have but to get property, some But benefit. the property taxes, I mean, they go so much towards pensions. I mean, you know, as long as you can make sure that if you're taken away from the property taxes that are going to the police and fire funds, you have to be able to make sure that, that, that was, you know, the money's uh, met 
as well as raised. Well, that's the whole point. It's a progressive tax. You're moving yeah. away from regressivity to progressivity. Yeah. So you're essentially saying we need to raise, let's say, a million dollars. I'm just throwing that out. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do is wealthier people are going to make a greater contribution in the million dollars, and we can cut uh, Dennis's uh, contribution <laughs> and Ben's contribution yeah, exactly. and Ann Kirkner's contribution so that striking UIC graduate students are paying a lower rate than, yeah. let's say, J.B. Pritzker. And I think that, too, you know, when you do it, there needs to be some honesty with the taxpayers, and that's what I think uh, Mayor-elect Lightfoot can do, is you have to be honest. And I was I, uh, I was at a uh, event for Lori, and it was an upscale event. I was the only government worker there. And somebody, sno- I'll say snobbily, but raised their hand <laughs> and very was like, what are you going to do about those pensions? Ah. And I'm the only city worker in there, and yeah. like, you know, I was, oh, wait, my ears perked up. Yeah. What, what's she going to say to this crowd? Right. Like I said, it was a high-end crowd. Yeah. And she hit the nail on the head. She goes, uh, and you know, you might not want to hear this, but pensions are a promise. My head's raising up. What? 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 Um, and you might not, you know, that uh, once they're hired, they're hired to a contract, and the benefits are promised. And she said, you might not want to hear this either, but we need to raise revenue for these pensions. And I was looking around the crowd a little bit. Sixty percent of the crowd was kind of nodding their head, like, "Oh, okay, I get it." You know, and the other forty percent, humbug, humbug, yeah. And you know, but you have to be honest with the taxpayers, and don't raise a tax and say it's for the kids, or don't raise taxes. You know, it's for their health, yeah. as we saw how that played out under, uh, you know, for sugar tax. You're right. Yeah. Uh, be honest. Hey, you might not want to hear this, but we need to raise revenue, and you know, uh, it's spread it out. Don't uh, have the regressive taxes that uh, hurt people and everything. And, I think people, the public will be able to swallow that. All right. Too bad Jeff Johnson and I are running, calling the shots at City Hall. We'd yeah, have exactly. this thing fixed in a yeah. day. All right. That's Jeff Johnson. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Uh, Ann Kirkner is in the studio as well. We're going to bring her on, talk about the striking students uh, at UIC. Uh, very important issue. Come on, folks. We have to have a livable city. People have to make a decent wage. We'll talk about all that. But before I do that, I'm also going to ask Jeff a little bit about the city council's makeup. So we're going to have all that discussion when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. 
and Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. All right, yes, indeed, we are live from the Sun-Times. Excuse me, Jeff Johnson in the studio, uh, and Kirkner in the studio as well. Sun-Times, D, I have to say this, I bumped into Chris Fusco. Editor or the Shun-Times, like you just said? <laughs> Did I say Sun-Times? <laughs> Shun-Times? Sun-Times! <laughs> Sometimes I feel okay, like a mother. Anyway, I bumped into Chris Fusco. We were walking down the hall. Ben, can you uh, give us a shout out about our new sports section? So I said, all right, Fusco, come on the show. He's going to come on. He's going to talk about, it, I think, tomorrow. Uh, but the bright one, my beloved bright one, is going to have a new sports section on Saturday, a wraparound section. Uh, uh, Jeff, I know you're a huge sports fan. I, you oh, are a sports fan, right? Yes. Uh, and so I love it. I love the sports. Dennis yeah. won't let me talk about sports. So I, yeah, for a little bit. Then, you know, we got to get back to the politics. <laughs> yeah, like but, yeah, but, second, but like, to the important <laughs> issue, they keep messing with my comics, so I'm gonna way on the way out of this building. I'm gonna find uh, Chris or uh, McNamee or somebody and strangle them because oh, they keep changing my comic lineup, and you that's what matters that, to me. All right, yeah. you know what? Fusco's just hiding. Went in the exactly. bathroom yeah, hiding. Better come out. Yeah. <laughs> don't mess with Jeff Johnson's Dilbert. No. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I don't touch that one, man. All right, so uh, that's my update. Do you have an update before I go back to the? Yeah, we'll do an update before we ride out of here. All right. Uh, so before I bring in on real quickly, Jeff Johnson. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was having a lot of fun with McDumpy in this one. <laughs> the oh, yeah. unnamed source unnamed and source. Uh, in yeah. France Spielman's column today. Uh, we're going to be tough with Lori Lightfoot, but don't use my name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, do you think the Aldermen are going to find their inner, you know, lion, or are they just going to continue to be wimps? Well, the, you know, so there's some hard decisions coming. And like I said, you, you kind of touched on, you know, 279, 200, eh, roughly 280 million for the police and fire pension fund. They're, you're going to have to raise the revenue. Like I said, it's going to be a very short honeymoon sworn in May 21st. You start doing your first budget. Yeah, you start asking July, August, and then you release it in October. And you're going to have to have 280 million, 300 million of increased revenue that you're going to uh, ask for. And, you know, the deficit of 250 or whatever, you can, and I hate to say this, but you can kind of shell that around mm-hmm. and, you know, shell game it. Um, and there's going to be some hard decisions. And the Muni Fund, which is the fund that I'm a member of with the other trustees, five other tru- or four other trustees, you're going to need even more money in 2023. Yeah. So there's some hard decisions coming in these four years. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to be out there in the front as an alderman uh, taking the bullets for these hard votes that you're going to have to or in the past like they've done the mayor has kind of pushed his agenda taken the bullets and then everybody kind of stays in the back and yay 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 and they take the criticism so I, it's a really I, you know to my, my advice to the council members 
and I get it legislatively, it's supposed to be strong counsel, all this other stuff. You're going to have to make some really hard decisions in these upcoming years. And do you want that going into election? Because we see the tidal wave that's going change, change, change. And if it's if the public perception is that they just raised revenue and tax, they're out taxing us, you're going to get income or you're going to get newcomers trying to challenge you saying, I won't raise taxes because let's face it, when you're uh, campaigning, you can make all these promises. I'm not going to raise taxes. And the incumbents are like, wait, we have to do it. Yeah. And so it's a you know, you got to be scared. You know, you start uh, finding your uh, your voice when you're, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, council. I don't know if you want to be out there front and center taking bullets on these uh, issues. That is an interesting observation. I've thought about that. What you're saying, essentially, Jeff Johnson, is that uh, it works to the alderman's advantage to have the mayor up front taking the heat, the mayor taking the shot. And let's face it, though. You want council wars, right? Media kind of wants council wars because that sells papers, (laughs) uh, first off. That's good to talk about. Downloads. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know... And I'm all for more independent, yeah. uh, you know, uh, independent council. But I think that, you know, ultimately they're going to have to work together and there's going to be some hard decisions. Yeah. And I think that the mayor elect will work with the council and have their input. And, you know, you were talking about uh, the committee. Uh, you know, committee assignments. Yeah, yeah, committee assignments. In the past, it was, okay, you got this, you got that, you got that, and went through it was separate ways. And now it's like, hey, we need to vote on this. Technically, yes. And, you know, the un, you know the kind of the nasty side of the committee hearings, is it, or the committee, uh, it's not so much about the committee roles and responsibilities. It's, you know, those Shackman exempt jobs. Yes, you know, sir. That, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, the bigger the committee, the more jobs. And, hey, you know, you need people to do the job. So it's yeah. not like you can't, you know, but the jobs come along with it. So just so everybody understands what Jeff is saying, uh, when you get to be the uh, chairman of a committee in the city council, you can get like, I don't know, five, let's say five uh, positions in your committee that maybe three, maybe two. I don't know what the number is. It varies, from, I'm sure, from committee Each to committee. Each committee to committee. Yeah, okay. Your committee may meet twice a year, but you may need two people to help you meet. And so yeah. those and, but, are two jobs. But yeah, but those people actually do uh, good jobs and they, you know, they, they do it, but it's controlled five, because it's Shackman exempt. They can appoint who they want. That's correct. And so that's that alderman has two jobs that he or she can control. Uh, he is or she is a mini boss. Uh, and so that's sort of a plum. And... Um, they're also uh, city employees. They have to work in the city of and Chicago. They into the pension. And they pay their pension. Into the Muni pension fund. So I will gladly, one more time before I go to <laughs> anchor, I will <laughs> gladly pay my taxes to employ somebody in any committee before I give one nickel to Lincoln Yards. <laughs> All right, that's <laughs> my high horse. Uh, Ann Kirkner's been sitting very patiently uh, listening to Jeff and myself. Uh, All right, so uh, welcome to the show, Ann Kirkner. Thank you for being here. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, uh, last week we had uh, a striking member of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra on the show, and I'd like to think our show uh, is welcoming people. You know, when you go on strike... Uh, it's a very tough decision. It's not something you do lightly. It's not something, oh, let's go on strike today. No, you're you're facing serious uh, jeopardy to your livelihood, your rent, everything else. So tell folks a little bit about the UIC uh, graduate students, teaching assistants, uh, who you are and why you went on strike. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great point. I think it's definitely not something we entered into lightly because we're the graduate um, employees organization. We represent nearly 1,600 graduate workers at UIC. And half of our members are international students. And so they are even more precarious because their visa status is tied to their employment. We're legally protected from, you know, being fired or anything like that. But it's still it's still a, a big risk for everybody involved, particularly for them. 
So we teach a lot of the classes at UIC. Um, we teach hundreds of classes, in fact. We interact with hundreds and thousands of students every semester. We grade papers. Uh, we teach discussion sections from the big you know, lecture classes that they have. A lot of us are graduate assistants, too. And so they work you know, like doing more office work in departments. Um, I'm thinking about my own department, which is criminology, and we have a graduate assistant there, and she basically makes everything run in the department. You know, she schedules things. She is just a wealth of knowledge for people. So they're really, really, really vital labor for and, the university. And so, uh, generally speaking, how much does a, a, a graduate assistant? Is it, what, what's your exact how Graduate employees. That's what you're called. We're graduate employees. Yeah. So there's some of us are teaching assistants, and some of us are graduate assistants. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll just say uh, graduate employees. Just a lump you all together. Yeah. How much does a graduate employee generally make a year? Yeah, so it varies depending on the person in the department, but the minimum salary is 18000 and that's over a nine-month period. $9 an hour, basically? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're it's, it's a bit tricky. So we're appointed at 50% appointments, right? So we're not teaching and doing everything for 40 hours a week, technically. Mm -hmm. Some of us go above that appointment percentage. Um, like, for example, I have like a 67% appointment. And that's like kind of typical, um, although half of our members and actually maybe a little bit more than half do make that minimum salary of 18000 And that's not even the worst part. I mean, that's really hard to live on, right? We're not guaranteed summer employment. Um, if you're an international graduate employee, um, you can't actually work off campus because your visa is tied to your employer. Yeah. So they have to make that stretch for 12 months. Um, and a lot of us do. So you, know, have you have to, to make $18,000. Here's, here's $18,000. Go live. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, and this is the reason why yeah. we're on strike. It's yeah. not even 18000 because then the university uh, mm. turns around and charges us $2,000 in fees. So they actually scratch back 10% um, of our wages. So in other words, they say, we're going to pay you $18,000 for a, to have this job. But to get this job, you're going to have to pay us $2,000. Yeah. So you pay. Hey, hey, talk about pay to play. Yeah, what is yeah. Blagojevich doing? In jail. I mean, yeah. uh, and they say it's a privilege, you know, to work there. <laughs> yeah, it's a privilege. Yeah, they get these foreign exchange students coming in. Yeah, come on in. We got yeah. a deal for you. So, in other words, it costs two thousand dollars to make eighteen thousand. You net sixteen. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're really getting sixteen grand. Exactly. All right. That's yeah. before taxes and everything. Of yeah. course. And that's, exactly. So when you're all done with taxes, you're probably down to like twelve thousand dollars or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and it depends. You know, some of us actually also pay tuition differentials, which is just another you know backdoor fee cut um, mm -hmm. or excuse me wage cut. So like they might have to pay like two thousand dollars a semester if you're in like a lot of the engineering or like hard sciences. Um, I think even sometimes like the public administration charges a tuition differential. So that's just more money out of your pocket. You, you know, this sounds like. Like the kind of scam uh, that's been going on with uh, big college sports. Follow me in this one, yeah. uh, and where you, the football team—they're not allowed to get a salary. Uh, even they play in the football team, a high-profile football team, brings tens of millions of dollars into a university. Yeah. Tens of millions. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm lowballing. Like you, uh, Alabama football judge. I, you all know how much money brings in. And but at least the football player—they don't get a salary. But uh, their tuition is paid, uh, their um, living expenses are paid. They get to eat for free at the you know the, the pretty well if it's a big program. 
Do, do they pay your uh, living? Do they pay your food bill? Do they pay your? Do they give you free food? Anne? Well, uh, they do at the recently opened food pantry that UIC had to open. I think within the past three or four years since I've been here, I know it's a new addition, which to me is an indication that they're admitting that they know that most of their workers live in poverty, especially most of their graduate workers. It's also for their undergrads. You know, undergrads are charged a lot of fees as well, and they're working usually to pay for school or to pay for part of school if they can. So yeah, I mean. So there's a food pantry where like you can go get a can of peas. Yeah, or yeah exactly. here's a soup kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's not even like a, a cafeteria. So it's it's not like when I, five billion years ago when I went to college, you like you go to the cafeteria and you go down the tray and you put food on <laughs> yeah. the tray. You don't even have that. Well, they have cafeterias, but you know, for the for the people who are struggling to make ends meet, there's a food pantry, and you have to fill out a lot of paperwork too. Wow, they make you fill out the yeah. paperwork. Yeah. yeah. There's probably more scrutiny for your get the pantry than that developer's getting from Lincoln Yard. Sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean to go there. Oh, good. But <laughs> no, I'm curious. Where did it? Where did this change? Because it seems like you know, with the adjunct and all this other stuff, it seems like you know, because I know college tuition's been going up. They're making money, and now it seems like they're squeezing the workers more and more and more. Where did this kind of? It seems like it's shifted in the last. I don't know, five, 10 years. Yeah, I mean, a lot of states, especially Illinois, they've just cut and cut and cut their state appropriations, right, for higher education. And so that's part of it. But then they also, at the same time, bring in these administrators who are tasked with running the school like a business. And so what we have learned, um, you know, through our research, and then also it's been really illuminating in these bargaining sessions to try to figure out where is this money going? Seriously, yeah, they're making money. They're making money, and we've figured out that actually our general fee, which is the fee they do not want to cut, it's the largest chunk of the fees we pay, and they are so tied to this fee. Like Why? They love it because we figured out that it goes to pay for the debt service. The Ooh, university uses uh, bonds bond to issues. fund their new building projects. So they have millions of dollars in new projects. Um, a lot of like new buildings are going up on campus. There's one that's going to include a skating rink oh, nice. to try to make it more attractive <laughs> yeah. to, um, to people to come in, right? But at the same time, they're freezing tuition for the undergrads, but they're also raising fees, not only on us, but on the undergrads to pay for all these things. So if, if, uh, essentially the way they do it, they're, they'll give you a, a, a bit of a pay hike to get to that. What you're asking, you're at 18 now, did you say? Yes. And so what are you seeking? What, what would you, what are they offering you? They, right. So they've offered us 11% over three years. We would like to see that closer to 20%. Um, but yeah, but the fee relief is really where we're trying to get. So in other words, uh, they need that $2,000. Follow me in this folks. They need that man, these scams that go on. Yeah. They need that $2,000 because it's dedicated to paying the interest on the money they're borrowing. Yes. Uh, so your money is going straight to the people who lend the UIC or the University of Illinois the money to build the skating rink. Yeah, and it's not quite that straightforward. It is because of um, they use bonds, right? So they're like state um, state bonds. So it's it's a bit more of like a complicated transaction. But basically, yes. And this is something I'm not even like paraphrasing. This is exactly what the provost said to us: is that that money is for debt service. And apparently, you know, we all voted on these fees at the Graduate Student Council, but that's not the union. The union is the only entity that has the legal authority to bargain. Wait, time out, we voted, who's the we in that sense? So they, you know, they have like a Graduate Student Council, which is like the, you know, governing body of the the graduate um, 
college. You know, it's made up of graduate students. Mm -hmm. But it's really, you know, not to knock anybody who's, we have a really good graduate student council, but they're more focused on things like, you know, providing small research grants for people and telling you that the library has a new website or, Mm. you know, just things like that. Mm. So they're not going to be like a union, uh, a collective bargaining association that is going to stand up for a worker's right to get, oh, their full pay as opposed to paying the guy to pay. Can you imagine that? You got to pay someone to work. Uh, and uh, so you're, you're, they, it's a different entity is what I'm saying. Right. And and they often will just sort of rush things through without explaining them really properly to the graduate student council. So again, it's not a knock on, on those students who work really hard and are dedicated to that organization. But yeah, they're not the legal entity that's bargaining, you know, across the table with the university. Mm-hmm. And we want, we want to be able to bargain on things like fees because it is a backdoor pay cut. And the university knows that. Yeah, I would say it's a front door pay cut. All right, anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, so, in your humble opinion, I, it's, I'm, I'm asking you uh, to be the fiduciary overseer for the University of Illinois. Much, much the way Jeff Johnson gets these questions all the time. People go, "Well, if you want the pensions, how are you going to pay for it?" Yeah. I just asked. How, how, how are you going to pay for it? Yeah. So I'm asking you. All right, you got to pay the money. Uh, you got to pay off the debt for the ice skating rink uh, that you just alluded to. So, uh, Anne, uh, how would you? raise the money to pay off the debt if you're not going to take it out of the paycheck of graduate workers? I think there are a couple places. So I would say, first of all, the state does need to appropriate more money for higher education. That absolutely needs to happen. But I am curious about why we have to pay fees when the chancellor continually gets you know, $100,000 bonuses um, and the president of the university, they pay for things like a $1 million guest house that I hear is rarely used. Um, and that's that, right off of uh, Jackson, if I'm not mistaken. The yeah. guest house? Yeah. Jackson and, where? Jackson, Jackson and Ashland. Jackson and Ashland, one of those. Uh, is that right? One yeah. of those beautiful houses beautiful. owned by UIC? Yeah. yeah. If do we, so we don't even pay property tax on it if it's owned by UIC. Exactly. All right, come on, UIC. <laughs> yeah. there, there was a story about that. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, continue, yeah. So I would start looking there. You know, the top administrators make six-figure salaries and get sometimes six-figure bonuses annually. They have also, you know, just all of their building projects. I'm, I'm just curious. You know, I, I know they do, like, public-private partnerships for a lot of these things, but who do they think is going to teach inside those buildings? You know, if they keep keeping salaries low and having hiring freezes and charging people to work there. We have people who won't go to UIC because of this, you know, financial package. We're not getting the best and the brightest all the time. We're missing out on people and it's getting harder and harder for, for people to live here. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think uh, Jeff was getting at this with his question. Um, Over time, are universities becoming more and more dependent on uh, graduate employees as opposed yeah. to hiring professors, professors who are on a tenured scale, yeah. you know, tenure uh, track, uh, who get a great, relatively speaking, great uh, pay, pensions, pay, pensions yeah. etc. So is, are we seeing more what Jeff is sort of suggesting, that they're yeah. going to cheaper labor? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the, the more graduate workers they can hire, the more they can pack in these huge lecture classes because they'll have graduate workers to sort of teach like the one-off discussions, right, every week. So like in my own department, we have hundreds of people in the major, but we haven't hired new faculty in years. And that's changing this year, thankfully, mm-hmm. but it's been a long time coming and, and everybody's sort of stretched at 
to capacity. But yeah, there's a lot of non-tenure track faculty. They're hiring more graduate employees, adjuncts who have it, you know, also very, very bad. And now wait, you said about teaching or one-off talks. What are some of your job duties that you do? So my personal job duties, I teach a class of 45 students, which is down from the 62 students that I taught last semester by myself. I graded papers every week, and I don't even have it that bad. My colleagues in the English department teach um, two classes a semester, and they will teach, my one My one colleague was telling me, you know, he had 100 students one semester across all three sections. So they really load us up, and it does vary by department, so it's a really, you know, my 50% appointment could look much different than somebody else's 50% appointment. It just depends on what your department is and, and how much funding they have. And you're just, I just feel that, you know, you go to college, you pay and all this buku money and you know some old professor with a you know pipe in his mouth uh, you know talking about it and no no completely no offense but i walk in and there's another student teaching me like wait a minute what am i paying all this money for yeah well you know i i also they're squeezing you guys they're squeezing us um i will say though you know we're doing some really great research and so students are getting a really good education yeah. from us but at the same time we're very squeezed for resources so you know. I, I i'm gonna say this i'm gonna get my editorial high horse here and i do not believe it's a sustainable system uh, for education. And I made my, this is my point with Chicago Public Schools as well, Jeff. I do not believe it's a sustainable system when you have teachers working, in this case, for poverty oh, wages. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, if you say that educating the next generation of kids is the most important thing we face, and they all say mm, that, yeah, Jeff, exactly. it's a good they all line. say yeah. that. And then you're going to pay some professor 18000 No, 16000 You got to pay them. They got to pay $2,000 to earn 18000 I mean, you're only going to pay them 16000 The rest of the money is going to the ice skating rink. Yeah. Or not even the ice skating rink. It's going to the bank House. or rent the money yeah. for the ice skating rink. You know, and one of the big Come sticking on. points of this contract is that international students actually pay a higher additional fee that just magically appeared in 2006 when they decided they were no longer going to fund the Office of International Students. They were going to totally cut, you know, pass that cost onto the international students and from my colleagues I've heard that they really don't get anything for that money but it's just this additional fee that they have to pay and isn't there a big issue or not a big issue isn't there an issue with out-of-state uh, students and international students starting to crowd out the local students because of the higher they can charge more I don't know yeah I don't know that they're crowding them out necessarily I think the university just really likes having that reputation as you know they're uh, they have a lot of international okay. students there but then they don't actually Good then time. provide the resources yeah. to support them once they're here and I think that is a really big problem it's only gonna get worse for them all right that is Ann Kirkner Jeff Johnson's in the studio as well when we return we're gonna ask some tough political questions you'll see what they are when we come back <laughs> If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments.
back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Yeah, that super cool music in the background means the show's coming to an end. Also means Jeff Johnson's playing the organ. He's playing the keyboards, oh, man. Wah, Not wah, only does wah. he know pensions, he can play the keyboards. Jeff will be appearing at a... Uh, Here comes a solo. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, I love it when Jeff Johnson does this part. Anyway, uh, tip Jeff, your waiters on the way. T- tip your waiters, <laughs> Jeff Johnson, uh, Mr. Pensions uh, in the studio, and uh, Ann Kirkner is giving us a great education about uh, how the URC is. <laughs> I get the pun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Ann Kirkner is giving us a great education about how UIC um, is really ripping off its graduate student teaching assistants, graduate employees who are on strike. Uh, come on, you! I see you could do better than that. We're gonna uh, close up with a couple more questions about this. D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. First off, here Smollett Gate lives on. Oh no! Uh, I know. <laughs> Suburban Police Chiefs Chicago Cop Union to express no confidence in Kim Fox. Well, let's read on here. This comes from Mitch Dudek or Dudek. Not sure which. From the that. bright one. Yeah, from the bright one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. It says here the abrupt end of the Jesse Smollett prosecution was the straw that broke the camel's back for a group of suburban police chiefs set to gather Thursday afternoon with members of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police to announce a quote no confidence vote in the leadership of Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. All right, man. Everybody's piling on Kim Fox on this one. Yeah, she shouldn't have taken the phone call, maybe, or maybe take the phone call, but not call uh eddie johnson i would have pref- uh, I, I would have liked to have seen this outrage from all these uh police officials mm, back in the day when it was the mayor daly's nephew's case was not being investigated everybody remember that one there was a fight on rush street and, that was uh, a cool little voice you were doing there <laughs> <laughs> mayor daly's nephew punched uh, david kochman he died he's hit his head i don't recall the Eternal order police or suburban fire uh, police chief saying, hey, we need an investigation. My beloved Bright One was doing the investigation. I don't recall anyone. So it's a lot of political posturing going on with this uh, Jesse Smollett just saying. Anyway, all right, let's get... Real quick, what's funny is how the police... Like just the police department, everything that happens with them is such a third rail all the way. And if you take a certain stance either way, yeah, it is. They're so far apart, Got and it. you know it is amazing how it just it's a third rail. And you say something, you're racist. You say this, and you know you're you're garbage. And it's like so far apart, and they need to come together Abs- a little closer. I uh, completely Jesus. agree, and I, I have these. How do I articulate this one? Because the the ideas get jumbled in my head. I tell my friends of the leftist persuasion, you will never win an election in the city of Chicago advocating for cuts in the police force. I just, the people who vote will never vote for Mm -hmm. you. And nobody wants that, I think, by and large. And so that that extreme anti-police attitude that cut the police, get rid of police, um, it may push the argument to the left so you get reform. Okay, I can make that argument, but you're not going to get that passed. So why are you advocating it? And then, and then the uh, the fraternal order police, they're just opposition to anything remotely resembling oversight uh, into cases where police like shoot somebody. I just 
you're you're so right, Jeff. That there has to be a middle ground mm-hmm. between these two. Yeah, it's anyway. just become yeah. And you know, I remember growing up, officer friendly, right? That campaign slogan, yeah. officer friendly. Yeah. And now how it's shifted so much that you know, it's such a third rail topic. Well, you know, I, as an old coach, and I coached for many years. I, a lot of the kids I coach are police officers, and they. Uh, so I knew them when they were kids. They were mm-hmm. good kids. You know, so uh, it's. I don't think we should be extreme on this uh, position. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, uh, and uh, Kirkner in the in the studio. Uh, USC grad student, teaching assistant, and graduate employees are on strike. How long has the strike been going on? Ann? Oh my gosh, we're in the third week. Third so. week. So yeah, who's God. teaching the? Who's yeah. doing the teaching? Well, a lot of a lot of nobody is teaching. Watch this video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for for the instructors of record. So my students, I've not seen them. Um, this is going on the third week. I miss them. I really like my students. I would like to get back in the classroom, but they and the administration was actually having the department heads um, using their admin time come in and try to teach the classes. Um, but a lot of the faculty refused to do that in solidarity with us, but nice. also because they said that's not our job. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the faculty union has filed an unfair labor practice against the university around that. They were also trying to get some of the clerical workers to administer tests and things like that. Um, so there's clerical there's been workers. Clerical workers. Yeah. Wow. And what's, what's, uh, what I think an uphill battle, you would have a better chance or not chance, but you'd have more leverage if the students were on board. But I think with students being a lot younger and like strike unions, they don't get it necessarily, maybe. They, or don't, the case? they don't totally understand. But yeah. however, this is instructive for them. This is an educational moment for them. And I, I think we're really trying to drive that home with them. And they are totally on our side. I haven't seen any organized opposition or really heard from any undergraduate who doesn't understand that this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And part of that is like, we tell them, you know, someday you're going to be where we are and we want you to have access to this. We're doing this for not just us, but the people who come after us. And uh, they actually are starting to organize. They've organized a walkout today and tomorrow. Yeah, a couple a couple of the student groups. Um, so we've been supportive of that. We're going to have a rally tomorrow if we don't end this contract. I'm checking my phone for you know text messages from my colleagues because they are currently in bargaining, but I don't. I haven't no seen updates. anything yet. Uh, no. If you want to give folks the information on the rally, is it? Do you want to? Do you have that information? Yeah. If anybody wants to show up, a sign of support, solidarity. Definitely. So tomorrow uh, it's going to be at noon in the quad um, on the UIC campus, which is just sort of like the central area in front of like the library and the lecture center. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have some undergraduate speakers, and some of our members are going to talk. Um, and then, you know, we'll be supporting the undergraduates who are choosing to walk out of their classes. All right. And uh, is there a website you want to give out? Uh, any if people want more information? Anything like that? Yeah, I would say follow us on Twitter, UICGEO on Twitter. Um, we also have a Facebook page that we update regularly, especially during the strike. You can just search for UICGEO um, Graduate Employees Organization on Facebook and you'll find our page um, yeah. So All right. So the I'm poli- sorry. Wait, say that. Oh, okay. UIC strike, 260 tweets. All right. I found it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the political question I was going to ask you is this. Uh, I've been very critical. I was very critical of Bruce Rauner's administration. You? I, really? <laughs> no. no. Among other things, they did not, in my opinion, uh, appropriately fund uh, higher education in the state of Illinois. And uh, I think Jeff was on to a point there that uh, our university suffered. Uh, 
during the Rauner years. And I'm hoping that would change uh, with J.B. Pritzker uh, as governor. Has, have you seen any indication that the fact that we have a new governor uh, who has been supportive of public education, uh, at least in his rhetoric, do, have you seen any sign of change uh, from the university that you're negotiating with that reflects a new philosophy in the uh, in the state house. Well, first I want to go back and say two things about Ronner. The the worst thing he did for us was the Janus case. That was such a blow to labor and we have we felt that from the day the decision came down because the University of Illinois immediately withheld a month of our dues. And they just started union busting as soon as that happened. The second thing that Ronner did um, with the budget crisis, I want to say that UIC actually, yes, they felt the impact of, of not getting that appropriation, but they only use, um, it's only about like, it's less than 20% of their budget, the state appropriation. And so during the budget crisis, they actually offered us um, similar raises to what they're offering us now, which is why we know that they can afford to do more because what they offered us during the budget crisis was very similar to where we are right now with the wages. Um, in bargaining, and we know that they, you know, slightly dipped into their millions of dollars of reserves. So I just want to put that out there. The second thing to answer your question is no, I ha- we haven't seen any movement from Pritzker. Um, my co-president and I, Jeff Shirky, wrote an open letter to the governor, and we did not hear anything back from him, even though it was like, you know, I think ABC Seven or something picked it up. Um, so that's interesting that you know he claims to be very supportive of higher education, but. We have not heard anything from from Governor Pritzker um, or his people, and he ultimately oversees the Board of Trustees, which is the entity that we're bargaining with, mm-hmm. right? Come on, JB, gotta do better yeah, than that. Exactly. That's why people elected you. All right, now wait, I just cannot let this die. Withholding dues. All right, folks, everybody knows I went, I, I went on and on about Janice. Janice, just, just for some of our newer listeners, was the Supreme Court case when the Supreme Court ruled uh, that uh, workers have a First Amendment right, I'm not making this up, they have a First Amendment right uh, not to pay uh, union dues or union fees, even if a union does not have a First Amendment right not to represent them. So the union's got to represent them, but they don't have to pay for the representation. Yeah. How that works, I don't know. But anyway, uh, are you telling me after the... So the Supremes uh, ruled unfa- in favor of Rauner in that one uh, after uh, Trump got to put his new guy on the, on the, uh, on the court. Uh, Gorsuch. So are you telling me that immediately the University of Illinois, uh, what did they do? Did you say they withheld your dues? They withheld the dues because they are the ones who take it out of payroll. So they claimed that it was, you know, a problem with paperwork because they weren't sure about, you know, who all of our card side members were, even though we had done the work, you know, several days beforehand to get them all of that information. Okay. So they were able, they had the computer technology and the capability to withhold your dues, uh, not to take the dues out. Did they also withhold those fees that they were making you pay? You know, somehow they always figure out how to charge the fees. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that goes hey, through. Yeah. Hey, Janice, why don't you stand up for the rights of uh, graduate school workers? Not, don't they have a First Amendment right not to have to pay that fee? Well, but I want to let you know that because we organized with several other campus unions, we organized a march on the boss over the summer. We and we also filed, um, you know, a, a, a grievance around that basically, and and we won. We had to, you know, get it's our so lawyers bizarre. on it, but they did have to pay us back that money. So, so uh, they. In other words, so now they're withholding your fees and paying them to the union. Is that correct? 
Is that now it has been changed? Yes, yeah. Okay, we, right. we straightened all that out. But it was not, I mean, it was right. an uphill battle. And luckily, we were in a position where we were able to wage that fight. But if we weren't, you know, they, they would have just busted our union, basically. Oh. Well, it's, I think that's what they were trying to do. Yes. Uh, all right, Ann Kirkner, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And one more time, uh, give that information out if people want to uh, get in touch and follow this strike and uh, and lend support. What is the, uh, the information that you gave the... Uh, yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter, which is UICGEO. Um, and then you can look for us on Facebook, UIC Graduate Employees Organization. You'll find our page. We post regularly, almost hourly at this point. So, yeah, keep All watching. Right. Very good. And Jeff Johnson's always a blast having you on. The man is a political geek, if there ever was uh, one. He it's loves it's, it's like watching Michelangelo work, uh, listening to you. <laughs> Whoa, I'll take that nice, one. Nice. <laughs> Michelangelo work. Uh, our first guest, I like that. I'm going to call myself Benny Mike. No, please uh, don't. Uh, please don't. <laughs> uh, First guest, Mick Dumpke from ProPublica. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, behind the boards, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Alton? <laughs> yes, he's sir. from Alton. Yeah, he's 618 down today. Okay. Hey, it's awesome. Doc, yeah, <laughs> San don't Diego make hat. fun of him. Yeah, I know. The San Diego hat. <laughs> Pat Quinn was giving him a hard time yesterday. Give yourself a raise, Dr. D. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And hey, remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com. You can find us wherever you download your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. I think we're on Stitcher. Subscribe. You okay, Ben? Okay. Subscribe. All that. And remember, like the Ben Jarofsky show on Facebook. We are almost to 1,000 likes. And when we hit 1,000 likes, we'll have a caption contest.